Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dedder Dennis Maller, speak with entertainers about their day job. And all month long here in June, we are speaking with radio professionals, people who work in the radio industry, people that I've worked with in the radio industry. It's basically friends from radio. Uh, last week, we did Joe, uh, Joe Campbell, Joanna Campbell, Josie, whatever you want to call her. Uh, he used to work for Mix 106.5 in Baltimore, just recently lost her job, and she's on the hunt for a new full-time job. Um, that was last week's episode. This week, we're speaking with my friend, Scott Lester, who is the morning show producer. Sorry, he's one of the producers for the Kane Morning Show. He is the head producer for Club Kane, which is a weekend syndicated show. Um, and he's also a musician. So by day, he's working behind the scenes in radio, making somebody else's voice be heard and broadcast it out to other to people at this point across the country. 11 syndicated shows, five days a week, and then like... 70 some show uh, 70 some cities throughout the country for the club cane show he works every day to make that guy's voice be heard everywhere else and then at night he's getting in front of the microphone and making everyone hear his voice as a singer and guitar player in his own band his solo project and his side band letterbox or his solo project is the side band it's Still kind of confusing. We talk about it in the show. Scott is actually the guy who did my theme song for this show. So when you hear that music kicking in in between my ramblings and the interviews, that's Scott who wrote that. And it's not even one of Scott's songs. He wrote that specifically for me. What had happened was when I wanted to do this podcast, I asked him, hey, can you write me a song? And actually what I wanted, uh, the song I wanted to use was Disconnected by Face to Face. Just like the first 30 seconds. I'm not even a Face to Face fan, but I really like that song. It's a song kind of always makes me feel motivated after listening to it. I don't know what it is about the song, but it kind of makes me feel better. Uh, makes me want to work harder. So I always liked the first 30 seconds of that song. And I was like, ah, I want to use that. But I, you know, didn't. Uh, so what I did is like, hey, Scott, here's this song that I want. Can you do a ripoff of it? <laughs> just give me like 30 seconds. And he sent me a great version, but it was too slow. So I just bumped up the tempo uh, in the computer. Sped it up a little bit. So it's more it's like, okay, yeah, now this is the speed that I want this song to be. This is punk rock, sort of. It's kind of pop punk. All right, anyway, but uh, Scott is, like I said, producer in radio. He came on um, in D.C. Uh, when I was not working in D.C. as often. Like, I was doing uh, one or two nights a week uh, out of the building just producing club events, so we would go to a club, broadcast the show. And I met Scott a few times then. Uh, I didn't really get to know Scott until he started working in Baltimore when they started syndicating Kane, the Kane show from D.C. up to Baltimore. And then we were just we became good friends because we were both there in the mornings and we would talk and chat. Uh, and then since I've moved to Boston here, he is probably the person in Baltimore I speak to the most. Like my two best friends, Scott, uh, my two best friends, my two best friends, Tony and Ryan, I don't talk to as much as I do Scott, but most of Scott and I's talk are about radio and how much I hate people. Like he's just a good sounding board for me to complain about other radio people and things with, which I do a little bit in the podcast and you'll hear that. So, um, I'm really glad I was able to get him on there. The funny thing about this podcast and you're, you'll, you'll hear it. Uh, we'll talk about it, but to give you the uh, background on this, we actually recorded this over the phone from my studio to his studio at home. I have a home studio. He has a home studio for recording all his music. I have a home studio for studio studio for podcasting. Guys, I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm still tired. It's it's like four in the afternoon, and I've been just laying around doing nothing because we had uh, a comedy cookout last uh, yesterday here, and it was a good long day of fun and cooking and cleaning and everything else. So I'm very tired. But back to Scott. Uh, so I was in Baltimore in May for my birthday. <laughs> Festival. Scott and I were supposed to get together and have this event. And we were talking about 
Uh, we did it over the phone. He sent me his audio, so he recorded his conversation on his end. I recorded the conversation on my end. We spoke to the phone, and I just matched it all together, um, as one would do when when you're when you have the availability of this equipment. So it sounds great. Uh, I shouldn't have told you that now. I probably should have told you at the end of the podcast that uh, that way you would have been like, oh, that sounded great. Like they were together. <gasps> oh no, wait, they weren't. <gasps> Zoinks! It sounds so great, but. I think it sounds fine. Uh, anyway, Scott and I, uh, good friends, and I'm really glad we were able to get him on here because he is the qu- another person who's quintessential of what this whole podcast is about. Is By day, he has a good, cool, interesting career job that he does, and then at night, he's working at being a musician, trying to make it in that world as well. And he has a screwed up like early morning schedule like I do. So when you're doing one performance at night, it goes late. You got to wake up early the next day. It's just a pain in the prick. So, and we get into a lot of deep radio talk. So if you ever want to know the inner workings of radio, if that's kind of a thing that's interesting to you, you're going to find this podcast very fascinating, I think, because we go deep into a lot of knowledge um, about some of the things we do, uh, some of the things that happen in radio, how certain things work. We even talk pretty intensely about the music industry because we both have familiarities with the music industry. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode of Radio Month uh, with my guests this week, radio producer and musician, Scott Lester. I'm working on, I think everything's working on my end. Are you getting any of my, uh, are you recording any of me on your end? What I'm going to do is like, I figured you could, uh, let me actually, my level needs to come up just a touch. That'll work. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, I, I figured what I'll do is I'll leave you in like, even if you give it like a count, like three, two, one, and then I'll leave that on your end. So it's easy to line up and then, you know. If you hear you on mine just in the very beginning, like if you say, all right, we're going to start now, and I just leave that part of you on it, and then it's easy to line up rather than try and like... Yeah, I mean, if you send it with me that with it in there, as, as, long, as, the sep- as long as I'm a separate file to, 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 to delete, uh, separate track to delete out, yeah, that's fine. Actually, I'm already recording, and probably most of this Tech Talk is going to make it into the podcast because I don't do that much editing. So, welcome to Tech Talk right. with Dead Air Dennis, and I guess on the show today is Scott Lester. <laughs> Musician Scott. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, the, you know, I, this is you're the only you're one of the few people I would have trusted to do this because you work in the same business. Uh, you know, you work in radio just like I do. That's how we know each other. But you yep. work in, in a studio enough. You have a studio at home that you have built because you're a musician, so you know enough of the technical stuff to be able to make this work. I feel like if I had to do, I don't want to do phone interviews with other people because I don't want to have the problem of one dealing with a conversation over the phone where we can't see each other and we can't play off each other's motions before we talk. So we'll end up like accidentally walking over, stepping on each other or doing one of these where I'll finish talking. What? Exactly. Right. And then you'll start talking like, and then that's just stuff I had to edit out later. But, uh, so I knew you would be smart enough to be able to figure out to make it work. Uh, so I'm glad that we, that we got to do this. Uh, even though I was just in town with you in the same town as you, like I know. a month ago, and we couldn't coordinate schedules. <laughs> I had the stupidest, well, not the stupidest, like, ended up my dog had to go to, like, the emergency vet, and it was the lamest excuse. I'm like, he's going to think I'm making stuff up. Like, I, but, I, which I wasn't. No, when you when you called me and you were like, hey, my dog's sick, I was like, okay, the way you were describing, I was like, oh, my God, is your dog having a seizure? Like, that serious. It was just like. Uh, my dog was being, you know, a, a whiny prick, and I took him there, and it turned out to be nothing. Then I'm like, ah, oh, okay, but, and you do have an adorable dog. Yeah, he was. Be- 
Sorry, I'm going to step all over you. Yeah, he was being stupid. Oh, well, not he wasn't being stupid. He was like shaking and wasn't eating. And I tried to give him potato chip. And if he won't eat a potato chip, then I know something's wrong because he loves potato chip. So long story short, he's okay. And he, we really don't know what the problem was, but he's okay now. Well, at least you, you know you have an adorable dog, and I've broken your balls about this for posting pictures about your uh, posting pictures of your dog on social media, Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter, uh, every day, couple times a day. I'm uh, at least you don't have your uh, an Instagram account for your dog. No, I'm not at that level. I my wife has suggested it because we enough people tell us he's cute. We're like you should make money off him. I'm like I fucking should make money off him, but. Well, if they're not, if not you're if you're not gathering that many followers on your own Instagram from posting the pictures, I don't know if it would be the same with, with if you if he had his own. Well, let's be honest. I think more people like the dog than they do me. Oh so. no, a thousand percent, a thousand percent, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, there's definitely more people uh, people following you because there's like, ah, oh, look at this adorable little white fluffy thing. Exactly. They, they don't give. They don't care about what I'm doing. But if the dog does something funny, then people care. But yeah. I'm used to it. <laughs> So, all right, let's get into the point of why I'll talk to you, because I'm actually, this entire month, only talking to, uh, hopefully, talking to radio people. Uh, I was I was trying to get a, a big-time guest that was in town from L.A. this week, trying to get him to do my podcast, and uh, zero reply back. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's ah, fun. I as much. Yeah. Like, that's fun when you ask somebody to do your podcast, and then they don't respond at all. But here's the thing that drives that, that I'm worried about. There's here in Boston, there's a guy who does a, uh, another, there, a guy who does a, a really popular podcast, another comedian who does a, a pretty popular podcast. And I'm always worried that if somebody comes into town and I ask them to do my podcast, they say, no, I don't have time to do it because I'm doing that other guy's podcast. And I'm like, no, uh, you've stolen another guest from me. Has it happened yet? Uh, yes. Uh, there was a, uh-huh. uh, a, 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 a author, there was a writer who was in town and I was trying to get him on my podcast and we just didn't coordinate the schedules and he was like, sorry, I'm already booked up. And then the next week came out, that guy was like, oh, the, today on my guess is writer, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you son of a bitch. And I know the guy and we're friends. So I just break his balls about it. I was like, yeah, now I have to compete. Not only do I have to compete with making myself and my podcast look professional, I have to compete with going against you who actually has a professional podcast. See, that's what I kind of run in the same problem. Like musically, like I know there's other acts in this area more popular than I am. So I'm like, oh, don't I even want to try and book a show? And I sound like such a whiny bitch, but that's, that's another story for another day. Oh, why, what's the point of booking a show when you know, everyone's just going to go see that band instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we try to avoid pl- trying to, or I try to avoid booking stuff when like the, Anybody who's bigger or more popular than than we are, which is pretty much everybody, like I'm not under any <laughs> any grand illusion, but so yeah, I just want to play for people. I don't even care. Well, let's talk about let's start talking about the music thing before we get into radio because I, I'm assuming you rather be doing music than radio. Well, yeah, I guess. Like I love writing and recording and and performing and singing and all that everything that goes along with that. But I almost think that that's a more volatile industry than radio and working in radio, you know how radio is like you could have a great job and love what you're doing on Monday and then come Tuesday, you're filing for unemployment. So it happened to me. I had one of my best, uh, I I had a a great week doing the morning show with Jackson there at at Z where you work. And then Mm -hmm. I come in Tuesday morning and they go, yeah, you're not going to be a part of the show anymore. So we're going to have to figure out what to do with you because we can't fire you. 
<laughs> we can't fire you. Well, he well, didn't say that. It's like, you're not being fired. You're just not allowed to work on this show anymore. It's like, that's... I might, I'd rather, I might rather prefer you fire me because now I have to come into work every day and look at the people that I'm not allowed to work with anymore. It's so weird. Like, so, I mean, would I, in a perfect world, would I like to do music? I mean, would I like to, you know, write songs for people or for myself and have that be my main source of income or, you know, out on tour with, you know, my own music? Sure. But I know that that's not a reality, especially, I mean, I'm 35 now. Okay. I'm not 20 and with long hair in a, you know, a pop band that, where the money is so i would still you know i would like to write songs and stuff that ship i don't think has sailed because i think i write halfway decent songs and i've had a couple minor super minor successes with that but i mean who knows day to day i mean i could get a phone call tomorrow from someone who heard one of my songs somewhere and be signed to a publishing deal with sony music i I, do i think it's going to happen no but i mean that's the kind of stuff i would love to do because I don't have to leave the house. I can write and record here and the checks would come in. That sounds like a perfect situation. Oh yeah, not leaving your house and getting paid for it? Yeah, no, that's just, I think that's ever, that's the American dream. That's the actual American dream. <laughs> yeah. Pay me so I can sit on my sofa. Like that's uh le- like legit. Like not draw off, you know, whatever, but like earn the money but also be able to kind of work work from home, which would be fantastic. Yeah, now when did you start when was the because you you play guitar and you play a couple of instruments like tangentially mm-hmm. on your own, but your prominent thing is guitar, right? Uh, yeah, like mostly rhythm guitar and lead vocals for the band. I play piano and keyboards. Uh, if we're working on like a like a demo or there's a couple songs we have that play key, I, that have keys on it that I do, but I like to play drums, but I am nowhere near what I would consider a drummer, and I play bass when I have to. Uh, and I actually don't like playing bass, but it figures like if anybody ever needs a bass player, they'll like text me or email, hey, can you come play bass or can you do want to do bass? No, I'm not, not even <laughs> all that good at it, but that's what I get asked to do the most for other people, and I don't get it. Yeah, good bass players are hard to find. Uh, well, bass players in general are hard to find. Good bass players are even more rare. So most yeah, people exactly. are looking for bass players all the time because everyone wants to be a guitar player. Nobody ever goes, no, I'm going to play with those big wide string ones. Like nobody ever says that. If you ask any, you know, any band, if you have friends in bands or whatever, ask them if their bass player is actually a guitarist. Because most bands I know, their bass player is just a guitarist who finally just went, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky enough that my brother is my bassist. And for whatever reason, when he was in college, he wanted, he just, he didn't take courses or anything in it or he just wanted to play bass and i had one and uh he was like can i take this to school i said sure and the next time i saw him a couple months later he was in state so it's not like he was far away but i walk in he was staying with my parents during like uh, the holidays and i walk in the house and i hear bass playing i'm like what what is mom listening to and i walk down the hallway and it's my brother playing like old primus and king crimson and old chili peppers like funk stuff and I, I'm like, where did this come from? And I need you to play bass for me tonight because my, my guy can't make it. And he ended up coming to rehearsal that day, and he's been playing bass for me ever since. When did you start? When did you first pick up the guitar and start playing? I was probably 15 or 16, and what I, I learned a C chord, and that's all I knew how to play for for a while. And all I would do was just move it around the neck of the guitar, thinking I was writing songs, but really I was just playing one chord. <laughs> 
writing, not writing, but playing really <laughs> shitty sounding music and just, oh, this is awesome. And it, it wasn't. So not even a power, not even, not even playing power chords, just playing power chord. Not it, it wasn't even the power chord. It was like the open position. If, if any guitar <laughs> players, they'll know what I'm talking about, but like the open C position chord and I would just move it around. And so you've got like droney strings and stuff playing high on the, and it sounded awful, but that's all I knew at the time. So did you have any, were you playing any instruments before guitar or do you just decide it like you're, you told your parents, I want to learn to play guitar and just started playing or did the guitar come from your parents? Was your dad a musician? No, my parents are the most least musical people I know. Like, I, I don't know where it came from, to be honest with you. I started, I, when I was little, probably seven or eight, I, they got me a keyboard for, it was either my birthday or Christmas. I, I don't even remember. And I, I would like, I had the, the, you know, the little Casio keyboard that's, three feet long small and had the note stickers on it so i knew what each note i was playing and i played like the the disney you know the disney theme books and all like those songs um and i played keyboards eh, okay enough i play what i call now big dumb rock piano because i still can't read music very well but i can like compose on it like my own stuff but i started playing keys and uh when i was 16 i think 15 or 16 my friend got a guitar i was like oh i want to learn that and uh, they eventually bought me uh, my first electric guitar because I was playing on my mom's old acoustic that I didn't even know she had with like rusty strings and strings that were like half inch off the fretboard. It was awful. Uh, so they finally, I guess, didn't want me to get tetanus from playing these rusty strings. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they bought me my own electric. Yeah, music, musical equipment will get rusty pretty quick if you don't start playing it. Like there is my drum set before I left Baltimore to come to Boston. I sold my drum set, and I was never a good drummer. I was a, I was a four four drummer at that. Like I was basically a live click track. That's basically yes, the most I could handle <laughs> on the drums. Just playing a four four beat. That's it. An occasional cymbal crash, and that's it. Maybe a maybe a drum roll, but it has to be like super simple. Otherwise, I would lose the beat. But. I sold mine and it's just been sitting in the garage because I haven't been playing it. It was living, it was staying at my parents' house. I was not living with my parents, so it was there and I didn't want to leave it with them. I couldn't take it to Boston, so I sold it. And when I sold it, I was like, I'm looking at it and I bought it like for 400 bucks from a pawn shop. It's not like it's right. all the drums are missing the front bottom heads and whatnot. Like the, 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 the <laughs> The the he the guy goes I'll throw in a pair of sticks and a symbol or a pair of sticks and a um and a throne for it and I looked at it, it as like the throne could immediately just folded under my own weight of 115 pounds the sticks weren't even the matching size you sit on it wrong you'll never have kids yeah exactly so I end up you know putting a couple another hundred dollars into buying good symbols some some uh, qu- you know um, gear and stuff like that so anyway when I sold it I looked at it and I was like. Ah, yeah, a lot more rust on these drum heads, you know, the bolts than there was when I mm-hmm. bought this thing because they're just sitting there doing nothing, just rusting away. I miss it. I wish I could play it again. I wish I had a drum set to play up here, especially now that the apartment I the apartment I live in, I have a basement. Um, I could just put a drum set in the basement. Actually, there was a drum set in the basement when I moved in here, and one of my what? roommates is also a musician. Yeah. We were both looking at her like, dude, why don't we? See? It had no hardware. It was just the just the shells. Like, dude, let's go buy some hardware off Craigslist. We'll set it up. Your band can practice down here. I can play on the drums. We'll see if the we'll make sure the neighbors don't care because they're a bunch of potheads, and I'm sure they don't care about anything. Uh, so let's let, let's use this drum set that's here because it's been here for years and nobody's claimed it. 
And then we went down there one day and it was gone because the uh, the uh, landlord came in and cleared out a bunch of stuff and just threw it away. And it's like, no, oh. a free drum set. Was it a decent? Do you know if it was a decent like brand or was it just some sort of knockoff something? Off the top of my head, no, I don't remember what it was. But I'm, if I don't remember what it was, which means it was probably a nothing. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. wasn't like a Tama, which is you know everyone's my first brand name drum set. My buddy found a snare drum that. Uh, retails normally for right around five or six hundred bucks in a dumpster outside of his apartment and he called me one afternoon this was maybe two or three years ago he goes hey have you ever heard of such and such drums and i was like yeah why he goes why well, i just went out to take the garbage to take the garbage out and there's a it's a purple that this brand is maryland drum company he's like a purple drum sitting out uh near the near the dumpster should i get it i'm like yeah go get it so he goes and gets it and and he he was living in I was living uh, in like White Marsh. He was living in like Bethesda, so fifty ish minutes away. I'm like, next time you're up here, bring it. So he brought it. Like an idiot, I should have just been like, yeah, hang on to it. He ended up googling it, realizing that it wasn't a cheap drum. He goes, I'll sell it to you for two hundred dollars, and it was in great <laughs> shape. And I use I use it all the time here, like if I'm playing or if I'm demoing something. And uh, I mean, we both made out pretty well. He got two hundred bucks for dumpster diving, and I got a six hundred dollar snare for a third of the price. But I have no idea. I, I assume it was a pissed off girlfriend or something who just uh, decided, you know what, I'm gonna throw this away because it was in great shape. Nobody would throw away. People sell crap for more yeah i i don't understand why it was in the dumpster but somebody's loss was my gain that that is the worst part though is your brother finds something and then sells it to you he finds it for free in the trash and then sells it to you his own brother and going hey you know what i made nothing off this here you can have it you're gonna use it no it's like 200 bucks bro like that's just <laughs> right i mean <laughs> somebody's got to make money somewhere i guess i just wish it would be me <laughs> yeah no you made out on the deal you got a good drum head for free for for cheap but yeah i, I don't know i can't imagine selling yeah, something that i found in the trash to my own brother like i would have taken it home and sold it on craigslist or ebay or something like that but not ah, i don't even like my own brother i wouldn't sell him something that i got for free <laughs> hey i you know i can't fault i can't fault it for it especially since he's in your band right well yeah <laughs> You know what? I need to bring this back up. Like, hey, what the hell, man? You owe me. <laughs> Let's. You owe me something. But you know, it's uh, it. I guess it's it's been too long now. I've had the thing for a couple of years. Well, this is what it is. Like, you go. You know. You know. Next time you go to pay him for a gig or a session or something, you go. Hey, you remember that drumhead that uh you found in the dumpster that I paid you money for? I'm paying myself back by keeping your money from the gig. We're not splitting anything. <laughs> so you started playing, you know, m you know, my first yeah. Casio keyboard at seven or eight years old, and then progressed to playing guitar at 15. Did you just start playing on your own, or were you one of those people that took lessons? Because you said you don't really read sheet music. No, not really. I uh, I took lessons from, let's see, I started, I took lessons, I guess, starting around... I was maybe 20 or 21. So I had five years, five-ish years of horribly teaching myself how to play. Like I learned, I didn't just know one chord throughout that time. I, I, I advanced on from my one C chord that I learned. And I started writing songs and learning really shitty songs. The first song I ever learned like complete on guitar was a poison song. So what's that tell you? And uh, it, I learned, played on my own for a while, took lessons for a while, um, for a couple of years, probably four or five years, and I've actually gone back and taken a lesson here and there from from the same guy that I that I learned with um, 
initially just to kind of, if I feel like I'm getting in a rut, like writing or playing, and I'm like, I just need a like kind of a refresher to to, to kind of challenge my thinking, I'll go back and I'll take maybe a couple weeks or a couple months worth of lessons just to just to learn stuff. But no, I can't really read. I can read better for piano than I can guitar, but um, for somehow I've actually made it work and put out an album and write songs without being able to really uh, read or understand. Music theory is just beyond me. Like I have a friend who talks theory. He's like, oh, how did you write this song this way? Because you're doing this and this to here. I'm like, it's, it sounds good to me. I don't know. Like, <laughs> don't try to talk theory to me because I'll just go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'll I'll fake it as long as I can. But once people ask me questions, I don't have any clue. Okay, I've got friends. Friends are texting me about the Orioles game, which I have on. <laughs> I have my Pro Tools screen on one computer that I'm recording this on, and the Orioles game on another computer screen, uh, streaming from my living room because I'm downstairs in my studio. Nerd. But you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, you, you well, you enjoy the baseball. That's a clear thing. You, did you ever do season tickets? Uh, this is our second year. Oh, second year of having season tickets. Yeah, but we just did a thirteen game plan. We don't, we just, uh, we we don't do like the whole people who do a, a complete. Yeah, like a eighty whatever, eighty one games. I, a, I don't have the money. I work in radio. B, I don't have the time. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, because uh, I know Mike Jones used to have season tickets. I think it was season tickets, or he bought. Like every Sunday game and Friday night game or something like that. I don't remember because he's also a huge O's fan. Mike Jones over at DC One Hundred One, uh, which yeah. I don't know. Have you, you ever know met Mike I've Jones? Not, I've not met him. Met him. I just know of him from other people, but I've not met him before. Like I don't think I've officially met him before. I passed him. I've met him in like passing, but never actually had a a conversation with him. Yeah, he's a huge O's fan. But that's a, again, we'll go back to music in a second. But let's talk about this. That's the weird thing about radio is you work in a building with what eight stations, right? Is that what was in there before? We got what five five FM and three AMs that are no longer of the same company. Is Red Zebra still at eighteen oh one? It is. Uh, I wasn't sure if you were talking DC or Baltimore, but yeah, the Red Zebra's. Yeah, down that's there, right. Because you're um, also in two different markets as well. Because you're in Baltimore with what uh, uh, POCZ, the Gospel Station, which is an AM, um, and then Jack, which is an FM. So it's three FMs, one AM, right? Yeah, that's what. So yeah, that's what's in Baltimore, and then I DC, split my time. Eight. M- Monday through Friday, I'm in Baltimore handling like the syndication end of a of a of a morning show and then the Kane Sundays, show. we could I say mean, it it's fine i'll give kane the plug yeah. i don't <laughs> he's a i mean he's a great dude to work with um and i've been there doing this for six years or so and on sunday nights same host kane does a nationally syndicated uh it's more music focused than like a tip like it's not as many bits and call-in features and stuff it's more like a it's a top 40 request show and that's on uh but i do that out of our DC-based studios, so I am a, I'm a bon vivant, a radio bon vivant, if you will, <laughs> a man about town. But I forgot that actually the Red Zebra stations were downstairs at, uh, in at 1801. I didn't. Yeah, well, that's because you're you're only there on Sunday night, so there's no reason for you to go down to that floor because we own nothing on that floor anymore. Uh, but right. the other thing is, you're only there on Sundays, so you're working on a show that probably brings the stations and the company. More money than most of the other shows, like the Kane show on Sundays or whatever Kane Club Kane on Sundays, brings in. Mm-hmm. I would. It's probably let's say, uh, in the top five biggest money making shows in our building, not in the company, not worldwide, oh. but in our bill in in that building at eighteen oh one. Well, let's let's count all twelve stations out of all. T- 
uh, all 12 stations, uh, well, you know, let's not say 12, let's say nine because it's five FMs and, uh, five FMs that belong to us. Let's forget about Red right. Z, but don't even know why I brought up Dan Snyder's radio stations, but we have five FMs and then we have three FMs in Baltimore and one AM. So we have nine stations and of those nine stations, Club Gain's probably one of the top five biggest money bringing in shows, correct? I would th- uh, I don't know about the Sunday show, but the Mor- Kane's morning show, I would say, yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah, so you're working on, but you're working on a show that brings in a ton of money for the company, and then nobody knows who you are because that you never see them. That's one of the things that weird about radio is you're an integral cog in the machine for this particular company that we both worked for in this building, and you don't see the other people, and the other people don't see you. That's kind of a weird thing, you know what I mean? Especially because, well, the hours are weird for one. Like if it's for, if we're talking just like the Monday through Friday part mornings, obviously I get there, the show starts at six and I'm there before that. Most office staff or whatever, they're not, obviously not there that early. And I was in the elevator. Most of the cell staff is not even awake at 6 a.m. Right, right. Well, I was in the elevator, I can't remember, this was maybe a year ago and to be fair, I don't know who she was either. But she goes to me, "Aren't you the aren't you the web guy?" And I was like, "No." Uh-uh. She goes, "Oh, well then never mind." <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not the web guy. Cuz she was going to ask you I a question like- about a computer. That's why. She didn't care about who you were. She was like, "You know what? My laptop's bu- 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 is acting up. Is there any chance you could come over and take a look at it thinking that because if you do the websites, you know how to fix a computer?" Right, which I'm sure they all think that way. And then there was one guy giving, I would assume it was a client, like a tour through the through the you know, the floor where all our stations are. And he's pointing out, here's such and such, here's such and such. And I had the studio door open. And he walks past. He goes, and that's, and I can hear him because he's 10 feet away. And he goes, and that's, yeah, I don't know who that is. Keep going. And then, and then he just <laughs> kept walking down the hallway. I'm like, cool, man. Nice to see you. And he... I don't know who he is either. So again, I'm just as bad, but I refer to everybody from what they look like. So to me, I call him David Wallace. Like if you were a fan of The Office, he looks like the the boss, like the big boss from Dunder Mifflin on The Office. I don't know who he is, but he looks to me just like David Wallace from The Office. So in my mind, that's <laughs> okay. who he is. You know, that's the worst part. I have uh, my, because I worked in that building and I saw a lot of people, my mind started going through, all right, I know what David Wallace looks like. Who does he look like? back there in that building, and I was like, I haven't been there three and a half years. There's not a chance I remember, A, if I knew who it was or I was going to remember who it was or uh, who it is, or two, even be able to come up with it because it's probably somebody new. Yeah, but you know, you don't have to deal with sales stuff because you're not a, a on-air member of of the station, technically. I mean, you were, weren't you doing a weekend shift? I would do if, if I did one because it was the perfect storm. Like, the person who did middays on our station... Um, couldn't for whatever reason, or she was sick. I, oh, she called in sick like the night before. So Katrina, the right? number one, but uh, no, Elizabethany. Name? Oh, 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 that's right. Elizabethany has the job now. That's right. It was, yeah, because the the lineup at the station now is Kane, Elizabethany. Might as well just be Hot Ninety Nine Five Junior. Uh, afternoons is Rob Cruz, who used to be the night guy at Hot Ninety Nine Five, and then nights is it still Julian, who used to be the night guy at Hot Ninety Nine Five from, and he's doing it from Chicago, isn't it still Julian at nights? It's not. It's uh, it's a syndicated. Well, it's not. It's Romeo, uh, who's out of New oh. York, but he does a custom show for our station. So he's not in our building, but he's uh, it's the show is specifically tailored for 
for our station. He does that for a few stations now, um, but uh, it's he's he's not in our building. Okay, so they got rid of Julian. But that was the weird thing is that pretty much the entire station was staffed by, or the entire on-air staff at one point was essentially just all former Hot 99, current or former Hot 99 five employees, which is our sister station in DC. It might as well just, you know, close down the entire format and just pump the same music up there if that, if they're going to go that cheap, but let's not give them any ideas. So anyway, well, let's not do that. Cause I work, <laughs> I don't want to have to drive to DC every day, but the one time that I did fill in, like I am under no illusions of the fact that I was like the fifth person asked to do it, but it was Elizabeth and he called in sick. And then the person that usually backs up her is somebody named Katie. Katie was on vacation. And then they Katie asked in Florida, Rose. Right? Who's Katie on... Summers. Yeah, Katie's in Tampa. Yeah, Tampa. She's she's actually really good. She was voice tracking for us weekends, and then she would fill in on the week. And she's actually really good. And I enjoyed always um, editing her shows when I'd have to, because she's actually really good, which is, we'll get into me talking about how much I hate other radio people. But so they, <laughs> Katie couldn't do it. They asked Rose, who is what the um like fourth chair on Kane show. Uh, yeah, she's like the our young like the female voice on the on Kane show, and uh, she had like an event or something and couldn't do it, and so and then uh, our program director was on a he had like a not a sales call, but yeah, I guess it was he had to go meet a client for a prospective buy or something, so he wasn't in the building, so I guess he would have done it, so he was like, look. I know this is something you typically don't do, but can, and we were doing contesting during that shift, so somebody had to couldn't just go jockless. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I will. And they let me know this at like it was like nine fifteen, and the show started at ten. So I'm like, yeah, let me get ready to do a an air shift for the first time in like four years. But yeah, sure, yeah. forty five uh, minutes to prep for a four hour air show that's live. But I managed to pull it off. Um, I he he was listening to it on the way back to the office, and he goes. Which, rightfully so, he said, I sounded not so sure of what I was doing in the beginning, just a little hesitant, which I was. But towards the end of it, he's like, you, he told me you could feel like I was finally on a roll with it, which I would like to do that kind of stuff again. Like, I'd like to do some fill-in stuff. Like, I'm busy enough that I don't know if I would want to do a full-time air shift or a every day from three to seven or that kind of thing. But not right now. But for fill-in stuff or a weekend thing every now and then, I think it would be fun. And you did all your breaks live. You didn't even have a chance to record it, did you? Uh, no. You should. Uh, that's the dumb thing that they. Uh, uh, I'm bless Rob's heart for letting you for going. Hey, you should be able to handle this. Go ahead and handle it. But, like, I would just say, hey, go ahead and voice track it. That way, you can. You don't. We we're more sure of you not screwing something up. The first few breaks I had to do as live as I could. Like I would do those live, and then once I kind of had three or four in the can and then music and commercials, I was able to start working ahead. So the whole thing wasn't 100% live, live. The first maybe half hour I did, at, you know, live. Once I was able to to have like a music buffer, you know, oh, I got 15 minutes of music. Cool. Now I can work ahead. That's what I ended up doing. And that I think that's when okay. I started to feel a little more comfortable because if I said something stupid, I didn't have to live with it. I could go, ah, I can do this a little bit better. So I so I would attempt to. Yeah, so just to explain what voice tracking is, uh, voice tracking is essentially just recording your voice, just recording your breaks into the automated system that runs the entire radio station. Like I wonder if there's still people who still believe that radio stations aren't ran by computers. Like... I I can't like I was a 
probably in middle school, I was in high school when I started thinking about how I can make a computer program to run a radio station. Like I was trying to build that at home on my own well before I even started working in the business. So I assume other people have to think the same thing. I mean, I don't know. What do you, when you tell people you work in radio, do they ask, do they still think that you're dropping a needle on vinyl? (laughs) They don't think it's that bad. Some people ask, how do you, where's the music? That's a, what do you mean? Like, what are we, pl- are we playing CDs? Are we, some people think it's still CD, which unless you're in like a, I guess a small, super small, like maybe a college station that doesn't have the budget of like a, of a bigger station. Um, most people now know that it's from like a computer database, but there's a lot of people who still think that anybody you hear on that station, like if you flip on, I don't know, a station right now in Poughkeepsie, New York, and you hear somebody speaking, doing their show, I know a lot of people who think that person is actually in that building at that time, which you know as well as I do, a lot of of, uh, of people you hear, they might be on in Poughkeepsie and San Diego at the exact same time. Well, they're not doing that by magic. No, yeah. They're basically recording their audio into a computer, and then the computer distributes it out. So even, I mean... Granny, you were doing your breaks live. Kane does his breaks live in DC. But yeah, not that. I mean, to un- to think that the voice you're hearing is local and live, that makes sense. You should think that way. But to think that the music is not coming from a computer system, I think, is silly in this day day and age. But I mean, I guess if it's, I mean, if I asked my grandmother, like, hey, where do you think the music's coming from on the radio? She would, uh, she wouldn't go, oh, well, it's coming from a server that's fed <laughs> into the studio through a database. If she said that, I would pass out right on the floor. But I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that some, some people like some like I guess techier people will go what what format is it and what's the sample rate and I'm like all right calm calm down a little bit let's not get crazy but uh, nobody has ever asked me in 16 years what the sampling rate is in fact I've explained sampling rate to people to other engineers and they just give me confused looks so I don't think anyone's ever asking the sample rate I hope not I don't know the I don't even know the answer to that I know that the audio is a wave file but that's it. 44.1 kilohertz. Is that what it is? Yeah. Now I know. That's CD and I've quality. worked in this damn business forever. <laughs> well, also, everything we, you know, every, that's the, the minimal quality for for CD college. Yeah, all right. Now I'm getting geeky. Like, we had 10 minutes of tech talk up at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I let's know. Not, I'm sorry. Let's not I let Dennis go off the rails on, on tech nerd stuff. <laughs> so, all right. But, so you got, you got to do an air shift. Uh, occasionally, you know, if there was a weekend thing, you would do it. Um, let's go back to, yeah. to talk about music because we're we're now at your early twenties. Had you were you playing in bands when you were in high school? Because that's usually when most people start playing in bands is in high school. You picked up the guitar in high school. Did you immediately move into a band or? I formed my first band in it's probably my junior year, and our first <laughs> our first show was so we got together in like my junior year, and we played really nowhere except our drummer's basement, and then. Our first like real show, I guess, we played our high school talent show and we played a Metallica song. And we, my mom or somebody still has a recording of it that I kind of refused to watch. I wasn't singing at the time. I was just playing playing uh, rhythm guitar. But we played, <laughs> it, my, it was 1999 and we played Metallica's Inner Sandman at our high school talent show. That was our first quote unquote show. It wasn't really a show. It was first like public performance because we only played one song. It's not like we did a whole set. Oh, that's the worst part is like lugging all your equipment onto that stage to play one song and then three and a half minutes. Well, if it's Metallica, 
seven and a half minutes later, lugging it back <laughs> off stage. Right. So, I mean, we did, for a bunch of 17, 18-year-old kids, I guess we did all right. But uh, I try not to. I would like to go back and watch it again. I haven't watched it in probably at least 12 or 13 years. It's been, I don't even know. I assume that they still have that VHS cassette somewhere and something to play it on. But, uh, yeah, I don't really... I don't really want to relive that. But yeah, that was the first show we played. And then we, we primarily did covers for a while because nobody could write their own music after that, like in into like the beginning of college. The whole band was different because I guess we all ended up hating each other, like most bands do. And we just played, you know, cover shows or throw in an original here and there. And uh, eventually somebody started writing their own songs. And I ended up I don't even know how I end up singing. Nobody initially wanted to sing because everybody was too self-conscious to do it. Which is the weirdest thing because most sung- singers and bands are the most egotistical, self-centered people, which you're not. But most singers, like they can't, are the people that the people that the type of person that becomes a singer has to be the front of that band. They have to be a singer. So to hear that somebody that a band formed together and nobody was like okay, yeah, I'll sing. That you always like, mm, no, which is, I think is the biggest public fear is singing in front of people. I think that might be one of the biggest, you know, mass fears of people to not be able to find somebody Either's, in your band who was like, yeah, no, I can do this. That's, that's very me. unusual and to hear. It was none of, even at rehearsal, like our guy who was singing, my friend Jeff, who now actually, I don't even think he plays music anymore. He, he moved to, got married and moved to Texas. But when we were, um, even rehearsal. So we're just playing for each other. The other four or five guys in the room, he would have like a hat on like down, like almost over his face and the mic underneath, underneath that. So we couldn't even see his face when he was singing. And it was just us. Like we all knew what we were trying to work towards. Like we wanted to be a band and play shows and write songs and stuff. And still no, we didn't want to sing in front of each other. That's a pretty big problem. If you're trying to make music. Yeah. If you can't handle singing alone in a room, (laughs) With just your other bandmates, you're not going to be able to to do it on stage. No, you're not gonna you're not gonna hack it. And then years later, it was probably 2000, 2005, 2006, The group that I was that we were playing together had enough songs to record an album, and we went to this studio, which we had no business being in because it was a studio where like they worked on like some Jason Mraz stuff and Dave Matthews stuff. And like, we had no business being in this building, but I ended up finding the guy on, on MySpace. So that tells you what year it was. And I sent him a message. I was like, yeah, a lot of the stuff you've worked on, I really like, you know, your studio looks great, whatever, whatever. And we ended up booking some time going there and, uh, essentially being terrible and wasting two days. We got some good drum takes, drum takes out of it. But for the most part, we weren't seasoned enough or n- knew what we were doing enough to make it worth our while. So the uh, the producer was like, look, if you guys really want to do this, work on your vocals, work on the way you're playing. And he didn't say it in, in a in a mean way, just in a way that, look, if you guys really want to make a record and, and something you're proud of, you got to work on it. And that was kind of the tipping point for the band, I guess, at that point, because the guy who was singing most of the songs decided... He just, I don't think he wanted to put that much effort. more effort into it. Yeah. I mean, and I can't fault him for that. If you're not 100% passionate about it, then why do anything? And uh, I ended up coming home. Uh, we, were, we were in Virginia, so we were maybe two and a half hours away from home. So I remember coming home. 
that weekend and then the next week booking uh starting to take vocal lessons vocal training with somebody and who i still see periodically to this day so 10 12 years later i think it that made all the difference like i didn't want to be terrible i wanted to put out music that i was proud of and uh it was work in the beginning to play our own music but it ended up i think paying paying off dividends so you so you you took you take some guitar lessons you taught yourself piano mm-hmm. with you know a little stick on things you you took got, got a guitar took lessons and now and in your early to mid 20s you started taking vocal lessons which you know you occasionally go back to same thing with guitar yeah. lessons when did you decide to go solo and become you know Scott Army and what are uh, Scott what uh, Scott Lester and what army Scott Army Scott Lester and what army or uh, whatever it is you decided to call yourself now because <laughs> I had well, you do the, the theme song for this and I was like do you want me I to did. credit as Scott Scott Lester and what army and you're like no nah, just say Scott Lester and link it to this <laughs> like because you were changing yeah, band names this. again which how do you change a band name when you're the only member of the band <laughs> well I end up. I ended up sort of changing it. Like Scott Lester and What Army was the name I gave the project of the album that I put out because it was essentially me and my brother, because my brother played bass and sings a bit, like backing vocals. So I ended up recording everything uh, except drums here at my house. So I, it was essentially a solo project for me. So I, I had no intentions of, of ever, at that point, putting together another band and going out and playing these songs. I just was like, I wanted to, for me, finally put out uh, some music that I was proud of. So I decided once I was talking to a friend of mine about it and showing him the track list and all of the people that I had helped me. So I had probably four or five different guitar players, um, two different drummers, um, like a keyboard player. So the, the track or the credit list was probably 10, 12 people deep. And he goes, it's going to take you an army to go play this thing. He's like, that's what you should call the band. And a friend of mine actually suggested Scott Lester and what army. And I was like, you know what? I kind of like that. So I ended up doing that as I kind of give that the name as anything I do outside of a band now. And since that record came out, I've put together an actual band. So we've changed the name from what was a solo project to a band. So essentially, as confusing as shit as this sounds, have two projects. The Scott Lester and Wood Army project, which is pretty much anything I do not with a group. And then the band now is called Letterbox. And whenever we go out as a band or work on stuff as a band, it's called that. So anything solo is Scott, Scott Lester and Wood Army. Okay. Scott Lester and Wood Army. And I'm working on a new, I don't think the band knows this, so, hmm. uh, but I'm working on a brand new Scott Lester, Scott Lester and What Army song right now that I've actually had the guy who did drums on the record uh, play for me. And he, in his his day job, he's a writer and producer in, uh, in he's either in Memphis or Nashville, I can't remember. But when he's not at his studio, he's on tour with Kelly Clarkson playing drums for her. So... His musical day job is a bit better than uh, me writing songs in my basement, but he's a great dude to work with, and he did drums on eight of the 11 songs on my album, and now he's doing this one. I am just decided to do like a one-off thing on my own again, and he played drums on that and killed it, so I can't wait to actually put this uh, this tune out. All right, well, with Letterbox, is Letterbox playing all new songs, or are you playing the same songs you did on the first solo album? We initially were playing some of those songs, but we're tra- we've are we written a bunch of new stuff, and we're kind of trying to transition from playing the 
what I dubbed this the solo Scott material. We've got a bunch of other stuff that we're working on now, and musically it's a little bit different too. Uh, so hopefully I can run two projects at the same time. But I'm sure somebody's going to get pissed at something, or why did you do that song solo and not with us? Or why did such and such? It's inevitable, but at that point, I'm just going to go, what are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Because I'm still going to make music, so I'll I'll deal with that when it happens. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of, just in music, it's natural jealousy. You know, like you're, we're not jealous people, musicians, but we have that tendency to, to, to look at artists in general, especially musicians, to go, all right, well, you wrote a really good song. Why did you keep that really good song for yourself and not let us play with it, you know? Right. And and let's be honest, like being in a band is trying to keep, I mean, I've never done this, so I'm, I'm a guessing. It's like having four girlfriends. It's trying to keep everybody happy at the same time and... And not, you know, piss somebody off with something stupid. And it never happens. At some point, no matter how good the camaraderie is or how good the the chemistry is, at some point, someone's going to get pissed about something. And it's it's not going to go. It's not going to go well. All right. So now you're so you're doing your solo project. You're doing the band. Let's talk about radio because, you know, you're already a musician. Is being a musician, is that what attracted you to radio in the first place when you were younger? Um, I, I, th- I think so. Like I, when I was in college, I had to do a field project, which was basically like a, uh, like an internship. You had to do something in your major that kind of pertained to your graduation requirements. So what was your major? I was, I majored in mass communications as okay. general and vague as that is, but that's what my major was. And then at I university of Maryland, right? No, I, I I wish. I only have an associate's degree, and I, I interned, or not interned, excuse me. I went to school at Harford Community College in Bel Air in oh, Harford that's County. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did that, um, and it changed my major to mass comm, ended up uh, working, quote unquote, for free at the college radio station there and doing a really horrible show every Tuesday from four to six. Um, it was fun. I did some stuff that they weren't like stupid radio stuff that whatever. But uh, I ended up interning at a station in Baltimore um, that CBS radio owns. And uh, I was there for, you could say the name of the station, Scott, you don't have to. (laughs) No, I don't even want to, because I don't work for them anymore, but uh, (laughs) I I worked there for, for five years, worked there for five years from like well, this, this is the thing. I know that you worked for Mix 106.5. Like you could just say that. <laughs> Dude, well, we had they, a co-worker. Well, I had a co-worker. I just released a podcast with your co-worker the other day. Like I get it. Oh, People well, yeah, across she, the country is not going to care what the station is. But eh, why not well, say that's it? That's true. <laughs> well, they, so, yeah, because they you got laid, the job me, at, uh, laid me off. Well, we, when you let, let's let's go into that because you're an intern there, and then you got hired in. What did they hire you for? Because usually, when people are at interns at radio stations, there's like three types of internships. There's promotion intern, where you go around to the events and you hand out stickers and make people sign up for contests and stuff like that, and wear the the mm-hmm. the shirt and and be all bubbly and say hi. Do you like big fellas? Or the second one is you're interning for one of the music for one of the morning either the morning show or the afternoon show, uh, where depending on what the station and format is, you're either answering phone calls and and passing it on to them, or you're just doing dumb bits for the morning show to make them laugh because they're making you do stupid human tricks, 
Or you're a programming intern, which means you just follow around the program director all day and watch them schedule music. Pretty much. I uh, I was in morning show intern, and then when I got hired, I got hired part-time initially. Um, I would spend uh, a couple days a week with the morning show and then a few days with uh, like doing promotion. So like they were getting me hours, but... Um, I, I was kind of splitting it between doing the promotions thing and then doing the but still the working part time, right? Say again. You're doing both jobs, but only part time, right? Right, 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 right. So uh, it wasn't my first like foray into full time radio work, but um, they ended up hiring me uh, full time to be the morning show producer when they made some personnel changes for the show. So one of the personnel changes. Back in, yeah, we'll call it that. It used yeah, to be called quotes, the JoJo yeah. and Kenny show back in like the 90s. And Kenny ended up leaving the station and the guy who was producing the show ended up being the second voice on the show. So there was an opening for the producer. So they uh, asked me if I'd be interested in that. I said, yes, the money was awful, um, but I did that full-time for probably three and a half years and then in the typical radio uh the way that you were a budget cut but in 2008 november 2008 i was a budget cut with like 20 other people um they just kind of did a a nice bloodletting um of a huge part of the staff uh which was which was fun my first my first time being i mean call it what it is laid off fired cans let go whatever I just remember coming home and sitting on my, my couch in my apartment and went, what the hell am I going to do now? Like, I feel like if I get fired today, like I've been in the business 16 years, 13 years with the same company. If I get fired tomorrow, I don't expect, I don't see me being able to get another job in the business ever again. Like that, and that's very common. You have, you know, people who are well-known local celebrities on the station and then they lose their job. They get fired for whatever reason. And then they become a real estate agent. Like they are never going back right. to the business again, whether they want to or not, which is a weird thing to di- to be in. Yeah, I don't get it. Like I know a lot of people, like the guy that I was talking about, Kenny, who used to be on the morning show, he was let go. I guess it was, I guess 2004 maybe, 2004. I can't even remember. It's like 2003, 2004-ish. But I don't think he, I mean, he's worked here and there in radio since, but to be a full-time morning show host again, I don't think he's done that. I kind of lost touch with him a little bit. He moved, he's up, I think, near Erie, Pennsylvania now, but I don't even know what he's doing. I know for a while he was doing like sales and then uh, it's just so weird how somebody can go from being the marquee talent on a... It's Baltimore, so let's say mid-market morning show, I guess. Uh, pretty pretty big city. You know, it's not New York, but it's not, you know, we'll keep going back to Poughkeepsie and making fun of them. <laughs> we'll right. keep picking on Poughkeepsie. But but, you, Poughkeepsie. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore's a pretty major city. There's a lot of people here. If you're the number one morning show, there's a lot of people who know who you are. Right, exactly. And for him to go from that to not being in radio anymore, it just it just seems weird to me. But... I wasn't sure if I would get back into it, um, partially by my own choosing, but partially because there's, you know, how many people go to school for mass comm and how many people want to, quote unquote, be in radio, which I don't even think they know what that means when they say it. But there's so many people who want to do that or be in the industry, but there's, you know, a tenth of a percentage of the amount of jobs for it, especially with 
like we were talking about before, like voice tracking, where one person can can be can do a show on you know ten stations and kind of cut down the right, cut down the budgets for those smaller markets because a lot of smaller stations, you know, if you're in New York and L.A. or Chicago, sure you have huge big staffs, but a lot of stations don't have the money to have a full staff, especially if it's a small market. Yeah, and that's kind of the good and the bad about the business. Is the good of it is, hey, technology's got to the point to where we can do so much more. But the bad is, the companies just look that at uh, as a way of saying, oh, that's how we can save money by not hiring people. So we don't hire people. The people who are working end up having to work for less because they need the job. And they're going to pay them less because they'll find anybody else to do the job because we're all hungry for work. So it's this terrible position that we're all in where we're accepting shitty pay to do more work because there's not enough jobs anyway. It's a blessing and a curse, like the, the technology part of it. Because working where where I do now with, with iHeart, I think the technology end of it is 10 times better than where I was before like for for example like if I need to check on something at the station right now I can pull up that computer from home and look at it and if I oh we're need I need to add this or you know take out that you can do it from here I don't know if that's something that's is easily uh, accessible to to other companies or whatever but the technology part I think is is great but yeah sometimes it's like a double-edged sword. Like I work for one of those stations or excuse me, one of those shows that's on a lot of stations at once. People kind of hate that because they'll think, Oh, you're, you're taking local jobs being on this, the syndicated show. And what I say being on it, I'm not one of the voices on it. I'm one of the people behind it working for it as a producer. But I, I mean, I can see both, both sides of the coin, which is kind of kind of weird like i understand like a lot of people don't like the syndicated stuff because it takes away the quote-unquote local aspect of radio but i also see from the station and the owner um uh like rationale like why they're doing it because they have to save money (laughs) yeah on the technology side like it's gotten to the point where i i literally can run the station from my cell phone like a thousand percent not exaggeration i've i've you know, I've been at home when I've heard the station go off the air when I was working in Baltimore, heard a station go off the air, brought up the computer in, on my phone and then boop, hit it, went and started playing this, playing the music again from my cell phone from home. Dude, I've recorded here in Boston. We had a power out at the building I work at. I had, I brought up uh, the, the uh, we have a web base. Well, you know, we have a website that we enter all the traffic information into that the reporters read off of. So I brought that site up on my web, um, on my cell phone, popped over to the video, to the audio recorder, hit record, brought up the, the, the site, handed it to my reporter, had her read a report into my cell phone, took it back, stopped it, edited the track, emailed it to the station that she needed to do the the report for, and they played it, and they had no idea it was done on a cell phone. It sounded as good as she did it in the in, in the studio, and that's how far we've gotten with so much technology that a I'm that we have a device that can do that great of a job. One and two, we have technology that accepts that kind of uh, of hardware, and and that we have computers that will work in conjunction with my cell phone. Dude, we have I have a, a, an app. You know, Clear Channel, iHeartMedia developed an app 
that will automatically that you could record your voice into and then it automatically loads it into the system back at the studios. It was designed for a news station so you'd go out on a report instead of having to hook up an ISDN or a wireless device or using a cell phone or, you know calling on the cell phone, you would record you would open the app, record your report, couple taps later, boom, automatically enters itself into the system at the studio. Nobody has to do the work for you. Like, that's and there's still freaking who, insane. And there's still people who think we're playing stuff off CDs. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. Like, here in Boston, I could still bring up the studio computers in Z, at Z1043 in Baltimore and, and control what music's being played. Like, I've edited Wait, mix what, shows. <laughs> yeah, I can do I, I still have to. I'm 1,000% sure I, I can still do it. Like, I would do it right now just to prove it, but uh, I'm not going to attempt the fate. <laughs> I'm not going to. Because if, yeah, if I log in, let's not. the only person who, who can do that, they know it's me. <laughs> There's only, th- like, three people who are mentally capable of doing this, and I'm one of those three people. All you have to do is turn to the other That's two great. engineers and go, did, did you log into our system? And they go, no. All right, it must have been Dennis, and then <laughs> I'm in trouble. So I'm not going to do it, but I could do it if I wanted to. I, 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 I know all the passwords still. They never change those passwords. And it's one of those weird things. Like when I left to come up here, they changed the social media account passwords because it's like I'm still working for the company. I'm in a different city and a different division. Why change the passwords? So when those bloodbaths happen – and that sometimes they happen pretty frequently, depending on where you're at. Like in DC, I went through. It felt like a, a a bloodbath once a year or once every other year. That somewhere else, somewhere in the, some quadrant of the building, they were letting a handful of people go for no reason, whether it be sales staff, on air staff, or whatever. Uh, so they then they email been, out. Say what? It's been pretty good. It's been pretty good lately. Yeah, the, the the we've had like since the biggest bloodbath that happened when I was with the company in DC was an, uh, Obama's inauguration day. So that's what almost eight years ago. That was a huge one. Which which uh, the, the the thing about that was I was at the inauguration doing a live broadcast with Whitney from DC one hundred and one, and it was her, me, and I can't remember who was on boards in the studio. Uh, but basically, the three of us were petrified that we were going to be let go and we weren't going to find out until after the show. Like we're down there on inauguration day interviewing people and, you know, talking about, Hey, here comes the cavalcade of, of, of president Barack Obama. Yeah. And doing whatever things we were doing and then turning off the mics and looking at each other. like, so do, do you think they're going to tell us over the phone? Like, are they going to email us that we're fired and then expect me to bring all this equipment back if they do so? Like, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> That's an unsettling ass feeling. Like you're like, oh, are we gonna find out? Are we gonna find out? Yeah. And meanwhile, we're watching. You know, Whitney's getting texts from other people about who's who's being let go at what time, and she's going, "All right, when am I gonna get the text from one of my friends saying he overheard I'm being fired?" Like it's so frustrating and nerve wracking when you see these things coming, and then you just have to sit and wait. Uh, I don't actually. I don't even know if that's worse. I don't know if it's knowing you're gonna be knowing they're gonna do a bunch of firing and sitting there waiting to be fired is the worst or the worst is how I found out uh, channel, you know, 104.3 flip formats. You know, the way I found out was I found out when it happened. Like I found out, you know, I was working in DC again with DC 101 and still working up there at Baltimore at 104.3 before you came on. And I'm working there on the morning show at DC, which we were broadcasting on the same station up in Baltimore. Same thing that you're doing. And, the morning show host Elliot comes on and goes, "Hey, by the way, if you're listening to the show in Baltimore at ten o'clock, we're, they're going to switch away and they're going to go to music, and there's going to be no more Elliot in the morning in Baltimore. You can just switch your radio to DC 101 
for, from now on, always just switch your, your station to DC 101. You can still hear us. But you're not in Baltimore, you're not going to hear us on 104.3 anymore. And I went, uh, it's quarter of 10. What? What? Huh? I'm calling my boss, emailing him and texting him going, dude, am I going to have a job when I walk out this door? Like, what's happening? Why is this going on? What's happening? He's not answering me. He's like, I'll get back to you. So I leave after the show, drive back up here because I live in Baltimore, drive all the way back up to Baltimore because I had to do that anyway. Drove into work, walked in his office and went, dude, what the fuck is going on? Why would you tell me what's happening? Like, I don't I don't know which is scarier is waiting to be fired or or not knowing that you're fired until it happens. Um, for me, when I when I when it happened to me in 08, I had the the blind side. So I, I guess that I guess that was worse. Maybe I, I see. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, when I was blindsided, th- when I got thrown off Jackson zone, blindsided by that, I. I yeah, that's probably the worst because I went uh, literally I don't I, I don't know what you did after you got fired, but what I did when I got thrown off a show, I wasn't even fired. I got taken off a show. I went to a bar, got hammered, drove drunk home, which I should not have done. They should not have let me leave. I left. And it's not even like midnight. I'm sloshed by four in the afternoon because it was a morning show. So I was fired at like 1030 in the morning. I went to the bar as soon as they opened and just drank all afternoon for five hours. Went home, cried. And then fell asleep. I just came home stunned. I just sat on my my sofa and like didn't turn on the TV, but just sat there and like kind of stared at the wall for a while and went, "What? What am I gonna do? Like, what am I?" Was gonna this the do? first time you've ever been fired from a job? Um, from a radio job. I got fired when I was a bus boy when I was like fifteen, but I was also a pretty shitty bus oh, yeah. boy, so that probably had something to do with it. <laughs> you're like you get fired, and you're like, "You're making the right decision here, guys. I get it." <laughs> I shake their hand. Good, good on you. Good on you. No, but yeah, like the first like radio firing was uh was was that, and it was weird. It was when you're your first um, and only so far, right? Knock on everything. Like I'm, I'm hoping. Like I've been doing this here. Uh, what I've been doing for yeah, I got hired in March of 2010. So it's been a, it's been a while now, and I I enjoy Wait, it. If like you got I, hired in 2008. You were you were out of work for a year and a half. Uh, yeah, out of radio for a year and a half. Yeah, in the meantime, wow, I, didn't know that. I worked for um, for the cable. Com- I worked for Comcast for six weeks, which was the worst six weeks ever. And then after that, I ended up working for a company called Music and Art Center. Uh, it was just a like a music retailer. I worked at there. I was a a, a full time. You know, it was a full time job, and I kind of liked it because while it was retail, which is sometimes difficult, if anyone's worked in retail, they know. Um, but it was cool because I was at least working around like musical instruments and selling stuff to, to people who it was primarily like, I don't say entry level, but entry level, like people coming in for their first guitar, their first clarinet to take lessons in school or that kind of thing. And I thought that was cool because I wasn't as salesman as some of the other people there. I just wanted the person to get like something that they would like or something that they would want to learn or continue on. Um, so my, (laughs) we had sales goals and stuff and I killed it in sales, but they said to me one day, you're not following the, the, they had their little method for the way you're supposed to like probe people, their word, not mine for sales. And, uh, I just didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I was in the top 5% of sales in the whole company. So I was like, look, when my numbers drop, tell me how to do things. And then I just did it my way. 
and uh, was able to kind of help people start out in music, which I thought was cool. Like some kid comes in, wants to play guitar for the first time ever. Like I was that kid and I know more now than I did then. So I would was able to kind of help them do that sort of thing. But I did that for a year and a half, well, probably about a year. And then I ended up landing where I am now. Um, but originally I was interviewed to be a producer on a country morning show um, that in hindsight, I was really, well, at the time, I was really bummed that I didn't get the job. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm down to like the final two people for this job. It's definitely mine. And they ended up going with somebody else, which I, I was like, this is it. This was my last chance to be in radio. But um, they gave I me the I think line. I know what, did you, was it in the same building? Was it with, um, um, not POC, but um, what's the DC? The MZQ. MZQ, yeah. I was, try, I was thinking of Q. I couldn't do it at Three and a half years, you move away for three and a half years, you stop thinking about those call letters and you can't remember them anymore. But I don't blame was it you. with MZQ? Yeah, it was. It was the morning show was called The Boxer Show. And, yeah, because um, yeah, Boxer's producer, oh, that was, uh, that that guy was a straight abortion. <laughs> see, well, he he was there for a couple of years uh, and then he ended up leaving. I don't know. Because I don't of his know. contract. Like, they did not want him there. Like, after they hired him, there was a lot, from what I heard from a lot of people, of he was just a humongous screw-up. I think his name, well, let's not say his Well, name, let's not go down that road. But but I, yeah, let's not. You're not the caddy type, that a bitter caddy type that I am, which you hear, you see, and read about all my complaints about former coworkers. Oh, I, fo- I follow you on Twitter. I know how it goes. Oh, yeah, I've been really letting loose here at work. Um, up here about my my disdain for things. Um, I'm really letting go, but I'm still also holding back so much. Like, example, this week, there's just garbage human beings that I work with up here, which is the worst part. I don't care how boring the job was. It's super boring. I don't care about that. The people I work with, they're just human filth. Like, one of somebody this week has been wiping their ass with paper towels and then putting it on the top of the trash bin in the bathroom. Oh, that's... Huh? That's foul. Foul. Yeah. Why? Why? All right. Look, if you got some kind of weird problem where you got a, where you need a paper towel instead of, uh, of instead of the the terrible low quality toilet paper they have, uh, and uh, you know if you have to use that, and you're like, all right, I can't put it in the toilet because it'll clog the system up and back it up, and then somebody will figure out it's me. Okay, I'm gonna put it in the trash can. Don't put it on the top of the trash can. That's so gross. Bury that. Like, like have some semblance of 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 you know decorum and hide it at the bottom of the trash can so nobody finds it like there's a guy that comes to work every day smelling straight up like a hobo not like hey he's got a little bit of a body over no straight up hobo smelling every day like you have to hold your breath when you walk past him nobody says anything to him and this is the thing not the first time this has happened. There's been multiple bosses apparently who had to have a conversation with him about his body odor before. At what point when people say, hey, you stink badly. Can you not do that? Do you not get in your head to go, oh, I'll wash my clothes and myself before I come to work every day? Like, what is going on? That's so Ugh. wrong. That's like the smelly kid in like elementary school. Like, you don't want to be that kid. But you also don't, you don't want to be the smelly guy at work either. No, you don't. Especially when on top, like, if you're like the cool, suave like, awesome guy that everyone loves, but you just happen to have a body odor problem? That's one thing. No, he's a, nobody likes him either. Like, he, he's a, a, a misogynist. He makes fun of women every day. Only women. Only makes fun of women. Every day that the news station plays a clip from Hillary, you just hear him giggling, thinking to himself how many uh, derogatory things he's going to say about Hillary Clinton. Which, again, I'm not defending Hillary because I can't stand her. But 
I'll, I, I don't want to hear him make fun of her just because he hates her because she's a woman. Ugh. Now, maybe maybe Shit Towel and the Trash Can guy is the same person. Oh, no, I'm 100% convinced it's the same guy. I know that, <laughs> but I can't prove it. And this is the worst part. Even if I say something to the boss, he's not going to do anything about it because no, he's too afraid of confrontation, for one. And this guy was supposed to be fired a year and a half ago, and they didn't because they didn't want to have to go through the effort of finding him a finding a replacement because they didn't want to lose the position. They didn't want to lose the manpower position, so they kept him on instead of just firing him and firing somebody. And fire, well, actually, his job was eliminated. He should have been fired. What they did is they just took somebody else's responsibility and gave it to him even though they didn't need to do that. They kept him on from being fired just because they didn't want to lose the man hours. That's so weird. And That's- they didn't want to replace him. And he can't hold a full-time job because he's a fucking moron. Ugh. And he's not even the worst. He's not even the worst person at my job. Anyway. Uh, how do you really feel? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I really went right on a tangent there. You know, you know what? You don't hear all of it because I'm too lazy to type everything. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I, I don't really have too much to complain about other than the early early mornings. I mean, granted, it's early, but I kind of – I mean, I like what I'm doing. I just wish – Getting up at four thirty in the morning doesn't get easier, no matter how long you do it. Like, people, oh, how did you get used to it? You, I'm not like I, for the. Let's see, I started in radio in 03, and it's now what? So thirteen years, right? So, and for the majority of that was morning. So let's say ten, just to be on the safe side. I've been getting up that early for at least ten years, and I'm not used to it. Like nobody ever really get oh. And those people who I who I pass when I'm driving to work who are out like jogging, what the fuck is their problem? Like, if you don't have to be up, <laughs> why are you? And it, some days, like in the summer, it's already like eighty something degrees out when I'm leaving the house at like four, three, four, five o'clock. This dude's out running, which means he's probably been up longer than I have, and he's out. Um, now I'm off on a tangent, but anyway. <laughs> the, I don't have that much to complain about about the people uh, I work with because I, everyone that I encounter like here now is uh, is pretty cool. Like every there, there's inevitable the the one sales guy who kind of gets on everybody's nerves or something like that. But the people I work with directly, I'm pretty lucky. I would think that they're uh, that they're all pretty cool. I mean, since you moved away, everything's really gotten better. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> <Thanks. it's, laughs> Everything's pretty good. By coincidence. No. No, it's not a coincidence yeah, whatsoever. It was the same day. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. It's, well, that's the thing about the sales. That, that's why I never bother to remember salespeople's names. There's two people in radio whose names I'll, I'll, I'll never bother to learn or remember. It's sales staff and interns. Or sales staff and promotion people. Interns don't count either. So we'll say all three. Interns, sales staff, and promotions. I don't learn any of their names because of the revolving door. They're li- they're likely to not be here the next time I see them. Because I don't see any of these people every single day. I see them once every three or four months when something happens. Or we cross paths. Or I'm, I just happen to be in the building at a different time than I normally am. Or I'm at an event. And I know the next time when these things come up, not going to see them again. Or they'll think you're the web guy. Like in my case. Oh my god, dude. If... I've had, and this is the worst part, sales staff are just arrogant people, which you kind of have to be kind of egotistical to be in, uh, to be a salesperson, I guess. But like I've went through, so I helped with so many rebuilds at 1801 in DC, at our building in DC, DC of fixing people's computers, setting up their computers, 
and and moving it for them when we're doing these builds that I've come fa- I've done things for these people face to face. And by the way, you knew me. I had a mohawk. It's not like I blended in. I do something for these not people. Not at all. No, no, I don't blend in. Even now that I don't have the mohawk, I still don't blend in. Like I just don't fit in. <laughs> I don't. I'm not background material unless the background now with a shaved head. Unless that background material has to be a background extra in American History X. I don't blend in well. So I would do these things for them, and then three months later, they come back to me, and they're like, oh, who are you? What do you do here again? Like, all right, if you forget my name, that's one thing, but to not even know I work here? Like, you can just fuck yourself, pal. Like, just crawl under your desk, and then I'll take it apart and just watch it slowly crush you in the head. Like, ugh. So that's one reason why I don't want to talk to them, because, let's be honest, they don't want to talk to me. (laughs) Right? Right. Uh so, hey, but yeah, I mean, you everybody's, don't... everybody's making money. They're happy. Yeah. But the thing with your job is you come in, in the morning, you know, you get there, what, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. You're done by 11. So by 11 o'clock, the sales staff has maybe been there for two hours. You know, they don't, you're not on the same floor. There's very little to no interaction with them unless you're, unless you go up to their floor or in your example from earlier, they're doing a tour for some, so for somebody, for some jerk off VIP, they're doing a tour. That's the only time you're going to cross paths with them. And of course, you're not a celebrity, so they can't go, oh, here, let me introduce you to, to Kane or let me introduce you to this on air person. So they look at you and go, ah, oh, I don't know who he is and not going to bother learning. They have the same attitude towards you and me that I have towards them. Ah, I don't need to learn who they are. They're not someone important. There's so many people whose names I don't know that I feel like a jerk sometimes. They're like, or, or, they'll say hi and I'll say hi, but. I'm pretty sure neither one of us knows each other's names. I think that's that's what it boils down to. Yeah, and of course they don't. They, it's not like they're going to go up and say, by the way, who's the guy with glasses in the studio right now? Oh, that's Scott. Scott runs Kane, the Kane show. And they're not going to He's behind the scenes. Enough. He's not, impor- not important. Behind the scenes. He's the guy that makes the show happen. He's not important. Sound like so, my mom right. now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, Bubby, you're important to the show. You should tell them that. <laughs> I don't know why I made your mom sound Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is Jewish, so maybe it was, it was her mom. That's who That's who it was. Oh, it was your mother-in-law. Okay. So, all right. You were out of work a year and a half. You applied for the, the morning show producer of the boxer show on, on MZQ, WMZQ in D.C. Uh, you didn't get the job. They gave it to a guy who was uh, infinitely worse. When did you hear from Kane about that job? Did you apply to Kane, or did they come to you? No. When I didn't get that job, they initially said to me was um, – I, which I thought was honestly, I thought was kind of a blow off. But they're like, you know, if anything, anything we think you'd be a fit for, we'll contact you. Which does kind of sound like a blow off because I've heard that from other jobs before. Oh, we'll keep your information on on record, whatever, whatever. Yeah, we'll keep so your we'll I keep your resume that. on file in the round filing cabinet. <laughs> right on the floor under the desks, and so <laughs> I ended up going. Okay, you know, I appreciate it. Thanks, because I interviewed I think two or three times for that job and they even brought me in to meet with the host of that morning show so i was like oh i got this they want me to meet the guy and whatever well turned out that didn't work out so um maybe a few maybe a couple of months two or three months later i remember this vividly i was outside walking the dog and i got a phone call from a number i didn't recognize and uh i was like i'm not i'm not answering this so i didn't and i wanted when i got back in the house i had a voicemail and it was from kane and it just said, uh, hi, Scott, I got your information from so-and-so. Um, would you be interested in coming in to talk about a new project I'm going to be working on? So I said, sure. So I ended up calling him back 
we played phone tag for like a day and then we talked on the phone for a good while and then he asked me which kind of it was almost like a curveball he's like can you email me what's your philosophy on top 40 radio and i said okay and i i don't really remember what i what i said but i think i still have that email somewhere so i'd like to go back and reread it now 6 years removed and see if it's still the same but what was uh, your opinion on I, what all right what, let's go into that if you don't remember what your opinion six years ago was on top 40 radio what's your opinion on top 40 radio now like what's your philosophy on top 40 radio that's just that's just a weird I, way to ask somebody what do you think about top 40 radio i mean i get it because especially at the time kane was really like building his brand he wasn't syndicated like he is now he was on i think just in dc and tampa at the I don't think he was he no he was only doing mornings in D.C. at the time and now he's we're on uh, eleven stations in the morning so I mean six years later I mean the syndication stuff didn't start for mornings until about a maybe a year year and a half ago but um, I, I just I, I honestly don't remember what I said but I think now it's to be I mean obviously to be compelling and to make your listeners not feel like you're talking at them but talking to them and continue to do content that's compelling to kind of a wider not wider but like a, a a large group of people so you don't want to be too pointed and specific in what you're doing but you also kind of want to be able to to speak to as many people and make sense to them as you can um but i, I and i think we do a pretty good job of that i mean it's entertainment at the end of the day and there's some stuff that you know people oh did you use a i don't know like a was this scripted? Well, some stuff, I don't want to say it's scripted, but it's like if you have an idea behind the scenes and you want to bring that to get your listeners to interact with it, like you you, you might take an initial idea and kind of m- manipulate that to fit into your life. So when you're telling the story, it's still, it's relatable. So as long as you're relatable to your audience, I think that's that's the important thing. Now I sound like I'm interviewing for a job, but it's... um. I think like top forty radio, and and then playing music that people like, or playing music that are the hits. Like, there's so many pop songs out now that are are big hits that I might not necessarily be a fan of, but people are way into it, and that's what relatable content and music that people like. And you know, as long as your your people who are delivering the content, who are who are presenting, you know, whatever the bits and your jocks and stuff are good, then you'll, you'll be successful. And I think there's, let's be honest, there's a lot of people out there who might have the, the formula, the formula, right. But the execution is just all off and their shows aren't, aren't very good. I think you kind of run into that sometimes with, uh, I don't want to say the smaller markets because I don't want to talk, talk shit about smaller market radio, but I mean, some people just aren't cut out to do it. Like, I, shit, I couldn't host a morning show. I, I know I couldn't host a morning show. But, like, to do my own, like, an afternoon type of thing or fill-in work, I could probably swing that and make that work. But to do, a, like, a morning show where the majority of your 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 show is you talking and engaging your listeners and, and, and kind of keeping things moving so it stays interesting, that's damn hard. And it's a lot more difficult yeah. than I think people think. No, yeah, it's – I've – been a part of it and I know how difficult that is and and some days I wish I just had that challenge in my life like I wish that could be my I, I wish I had that opportunity to 
challenge myself into it. But I also know, I don't know if I, I think I could do it, but I'm pretty sure logistically it wouldn't work out as well. Like, I think I can entertain a small group of people, but not a large group of people. And that's probably what's going to happen is I'll have like loyally dedicated fans, but such a small fan base that it wouldn't be worth them to keep it. But with my, my thing with top 40 music is I learned because I've worked for two top 40 radio stations. I've worked for two country stations. I worked for a gospel station. I am a hired gun for radio. If any station wants to hire me for something, I'll do it. I'll work for them. Especially if it's like board hopping, like just simple stuff. That's fine. On air stuff. I don't know, you know, if it's an engineering job or board hopping, I can handle it and do it. Not a problem if I have to hear the music, but to talk up the music, that was what's, what was really hard for me. And I'm an old school punk rocker. So for me to work for top 40 radio, I had to give up a lot of myself to accept that and be afraid of some of the, the ridicule I might get from my friends. So I just learned early on. So I don't drive myself crazy that music is subjective and that, ah, that no one will ever feel the same way about a song that I do. So if somebody else likes it, that's fine because it brings them joy. If I think it's crap, that doesn't matter because it's only my opinion. So I've always tried to stick to the the, the theory of saying, I don't think it sucks. I just don't like it when it comes to right. music. And so- on a, you hit the nail right on the head about it being subjective. And like one of my favorite uh, like musicians is this guy named Butch Walker who he's he writes and records and produces for not – a lot of pop acts like he's worked with Katy Perry he's worked with Taylor Swift he's worked with like uh, Avril Lavigne but his own music is like 90s rock band but uh he's kind of made his living now as as a producer but he's and he writes so much stuff for other people and I've heard him in interviews people go oh why do you write your best songs and give them to other people and he he says well I you know there's a huge difference between a good song and a hit song and that's something I kind of believe in because there's some songs on the radio now that are huge hits that I just don't think are good songs. But like he's right. Like if I would kind of be offended if I was him if people were saying, "Why do you give all your good songs to the other people?" Well, maybe you're not listening to what I'm doing for myself. Like most of the music he does on his own his own records is stuff that means something to him or something that he's experienced, and like that's. If, if you're not doing something like that, something that relates to you, then it all just sounds contrived. So there's, for pop music, there's songwriting camps for people. They'll put, they'll fly people to Hawaii and put them up in, in a hotel for two weeks. And there's 15 of them. And their job is to write the next, I don't know, Rihanna record. And that's what they're there for. We're going to pay you people a bunch of money. We're going to put you here. You're going to craft this record for this pop star. And then they'll just do it again for somebody else. There's a really interesting article. I can't remember what site. I think it might even be like an NPR website. But it's it's a it, it uh, outlines the whole writing process for some stuff that they were working on for Rihanna. And the cost involved with just producing and releasing and having a hit. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, incredible to see what lengths they go to, to, to make that stuff happen. Yeah. Now it's the music industry is so orchestrated and, you know, from just my small side of it, working with bands and working with some, uh, I, I did some consulting for a guy who was working for a major label, wanted to leave the label and start his own. So I did some consulting for him and his partners and stuff like what artists that, you know, like they basically the way they wanted to start their thing was to be able to find the next, Diamond in the Rough, the next Justin Bieber. 
or, you know, the next Natasha Benningfield, somebody who they could, for lack of a better word, exploit very cheaply and make huge. So I consulted from knowing music and knowing radio for them on what some of these things. And I learned a lot that I probably should have known going into it, but just saying things and talking to people and knowing things and listening to conversations. It's so orchestrated. Like you could literally take anyone with the right amount of money and make them a humongous multi multi platinum selling pop star with just a couple million dollars. You know, you could do it with, you know, 50,000. You could probably do it with 50,000. It's a lot more legwork and it's a lot less guarantee, but the more money you put into it, the more a guarantee it is that that's going to, that they're going to be a, a star and it's going to make you a ton of money. So it's a weird, weird place to be in when you kind of realize that how manufactured the entire music industry is. It's fascinating to see how the machine works from like the beginning to the end, from like an artist being signed to like having that hit on the radio. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just interesting to see how how it all works and how how people become you know the stars now like to be like okay let's say some girl who lives down the street from me she's 21 she's cute and she can sing okay and she has a good song uh but if if she's not a star or if they don't break her by you know the second or third single pretty much it's over but back in like the day, like even in like the eighties, uh, seventies and eighties with the music industry, if it, the mindset was, if we don't break these guys by their second or third record, then it might be over. But now it's like the shelf life of something like that, especially for a new artist trying to get into it. Um, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty cutthroat. Like if, unless you, if you're a new artist and you don't have like some at least a moderate hit early on it's pretty much over i mean there obviously there's an exception to every rule but for the most part that's the way it, it kind of pans out for people yeah there's so much you know impatience with the music industry now compared to a couple of years ago uh and now it's just you know it's like we fi- they the big wigs of the music industry have figured out the code they've they've been, they're now able to read the matrix on how to make somebody a star and make money uh you know to a certain percentage certainty and but like, so right, have a lot of other do. people so you've got you've got people kind of going the DIY like uh, a few years ago, Macklemore was like the biggest pop star on the planet, a rapper or whatever you want to call him, and that whole record that he did it was called the Heist. It it was it was an independent record. He didn't sign with any label. He didn't do. He just did it on his own and kind of through a grassroots, uh, I guess, uh, exploration of his fan base or whatever. And then it ended up being this huge huge record that. Labels were coming him, coming to him, wanting to sign him, and he's kind of like, "What's the point? Like, why should he? He he kind of he did the record on his own. The promotion was all himself. He was a star. He was making money off of it. Like, at what point? What's the benefit to signing to a label at that point? So, a lot of people have, are finding like, I guess, the secret formula, if you want to call it that, to to not sign with a major label. And there's more kind of smaller independent labels that are still putting out good music just in a different way from signing to like your your big your Sony music or whatever. So it's weird to see I guess the technology and the way of going about it yourself has changed faster than the industry has changed. Like the the method has it the method's changed whereas the industry's still kind of on its heels a little bit going, hmm, how do we adjust to this? But 
And there's no right or wrong answer to it. Like, I don't know. But if I was a big wig at like, you know, huge record label A, I wouldn't have any idea what to do. But I guess that's why I do what I do and they do what they do. Yeah. No, uh, they're they're in position for in control for a reason because they figure out how to maintain that control and how that how that happened. So yeah, so Kane called you, said, "Did you want to be a part of the show?" Ask you what your philosophy on Top Forty Radio. They brought me in to interview with with Kane and then the market manager at the time, uh, who's now been promoted. I think she's overseeing a lot of stuff on the East Coast. Thea, who was nothing but great to me, I got nothing but good things to say about her. And uh, I don't have anything she, bad to say other than she hated me. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that just added to I, another I, list of people that hated me. Yeah, no, it's not a big well, deal. Number na- another name on the list. But no, I, I interviewed with her and Kane um, and they said they would let me know. And they offered me, I think it was like a Thursday. They offered me the job. She called me that evening and offered me the officially offered me the job. Uh, asked me if I, you know, to let them know if I could think about it. I was like, no, I don't need to think about it. Let's do this. <laughs> and uh, I remember going into my job the next day at the music store and putting in, like, the radio station wanted me to start right away. But at the same time, I didn't want to burn any bridges working the job I had at the time because you never know how paths will ever cross again. So I, uh, I kind of met him in the middle. I gave a one-week notice, and they, uh, they were that was pretty much it. Like I worked one more week at the music store while also occasionally still going throughout that week. I think I went in twice to kind of help them prepare for the launch of, of club Kane, the show we do on Sunday nights, because at that point it hadn't even started yet. And, uh, we kind of got that show together and I've been with that show since day one. And now it's on, we're on like nine. We started on, I think it was 11 stations or nine stations when we first launched and we're on like 97 stations now so it's grown a little bit over the last six years but uh but yeah no that's that's how it happened like uh, i ended up getting a phone call a couple months after i didn't get a job with the country station which in hindsight ended up being a blessing in disguise because a that producer that they hired instead of me left that morning show isn't on anymore and uh oh is boxer done so at I don't mcq know. Yeah, now it's it's uh, Bobby Bones who's syndicated out of Nashville. Oh yeah, we have Bobby Bones up here. The station that they flipped up here to country is uh, the Bull. They have Bobby Bones up here. Yeah. So it uh, sucks for Boxer. He was. A really I don't know nice, what that. You know what? Nice guy, kind of weird, but he was a damn good talent. And it's a shame he was stuck in the situation he was because they the the station and the company was holding his hands back a lot uh, from doing mm. stuff. Like he was very successful at doing what they wanted him to do. But I think he could have been a lot more successful in other ways outside of that had they not been holding his hands back a little bit. Like, he was a really talented guy um, who was able to, you know, just play the po- the political bollocks of the radio industry and just do what they want him to do. But I think he could have done a lot more uh, creative stuff. So it sucks that you – know, I'm sure he's landing on his feet. We could probably Google him and find out, but – I don't care about him that he's a, much. <laughs> he's doing radio. I think he moved back home, and I can't remember where home was. But he, uh, yeah, he's he's doing all right. And I mean, I'm, I I don't keep in touch with him per se, but I uh, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and every once in a while, like, we'll comment on something on somebody else's page. But yeah, I think he. Uh, I wasn't real familiar with like the behind the scenes of his show, other than when I met him the few times that I met him uh, prior to were when I was interviewing for the for the job but always seemed like a great dude like never 
if he's been mad, I've never seen it. Like he's always just like a really up kind of guy. Yeah. And, uh, no, he's very positive and very happy. That's probably one of the reasons why they left his producer on for so long is because he just could not get mad enough. Like he would get frustrated when the guy kept screwing things up, but he could never get mad enough to the point where he would fire him. And if he fired him, he felt bad. Like he is just such a overly nice, unfortunately overly nice guy to that. He was hurting himself and causing himself more work because he was too nice to fire a guy who was too incompetent to do his job. Well, I, I've heard like, I've heard that, but I don't know firsthand about how things went with that situation. I know he ended up leaving. I don't know whose choice it was, but, um, I mean, yeah, like I guess with that show not being on anymore, I mean, yeah, I was super bummed that I didn't get that job initially, but I guess in, in looking back at it, the blessing in disguise, because I assume once they put the, the syndicated show on, it would have. I would have been moved to something else or possibly let go. I don't know. I don't even want to think about it because, I mean, that's not the way it, it panned out. But I'm lucky enough to uh, to be where I am now, doing working with a working with a team that genuinely likes each other and has support from the people above them, which is kind of weird because it's not something uh, I experienced at my previous station. Everybody on the show was a tight knit group and liked each other, but the support from the powers that be was a little lacking. Yeah, well, um, if you bring but, in enough money for the station, the the powers to be above you will will like you. But I will also say from being from working alongside of Kane um when I was there, not as deep as you have, but I've done things, you know, with him. He is a really nice guy, and you know what? He is he's a hard worker and he's talented. You know, I, you know, we have talks where, you know, the let's spoiler alert uh, let's let the, the 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 secret out of the bag. War of the Roses is completely fake. Those colors are not real. It's all scripted and, and made up for the most part uh, because I've actually done that job too. I've done War of the Roses for other stations now that I moved up here. Uh, they haven't called me in a long time to do a job but or emailed me a lot of job. But anyway, uh, I find it to be the just worst, hackiest crap out there. Personally, I can't stand those fake, overdramatic, poorly put together radio plays, for for lack of a better term. You, you know, uh, those drama things. I can't stand them, and it makes my blood boil. And he does one, but he he knows that it sells, and he's okay with it. You know, and it does sell. I think I'm more mad that it's that it's a successful thing than the quality that's put into it. Like I'm, I get more mad that their listeners enjoy it than I, than, than I, than I'm mad that, that he actually does it. Like, I think I'm more pissed off that people enjoy it than it is that he decides to do it. That's my opinion uh, that I can't stand those fake things, even though I've been a part of them. And we were going to do them with Jackson. When I was helping out Jackson, we were going to bring in actors on demand to do voice calls. And one of the things we're going to do, let's do a, let's date dead air Dennis, contest with those things and instead of actually making me go out on dates with actual listeners we would take two calls from from potential listeners and then one fake call and we would pretend that the fake call was that i went on the date with the fake call and then it would blow up always blow up hilariously in my face um and it it made me feel scummy that we we never did it we were talking about it but it made me feel scummy thinking about doing it 
But you know what? I would have, if, if they wanted to do it, I would have done it. Dude, we were going to do, you know, an advice line, which all the advice line stuff is fake. Dude, didn't even, you know, like, the, you know, Dear Abby, I think, admitted on her deathbed that her, <laughs> that her letters that she published were fake or something like that. So, you know, we, we, we were doing an advice thing for a while, which was, you know, fake. We were, you know, we were, to, we were toy, toy doing a caller. You know, we would have callers leave a voicemail and we would pretend to make a advice line for it, you know? So, I don't know. I think when you're in it, you just do whatever you can to make content because you're producing so much content every day. As long as you're doing stuff people people like. I mean, well, I, I used to have a, an issue, I guess, with certain certain bits, but, like, I think of it this way. Like, if I'm watching, I don't know... um, a TV show, pick something like, uh, if I'm watching New Girl, okay, do I really think Zoe Deschanel is living that life with those people in that apartment? Probably not. <laughs> like, no, but like, as long as, as long as people are entertained by something, I think it's, uh, it's got merit. Yeah, I think it's that thing that, like, when I watch TV, I know TV's fake. When I hear a phone call, I should expect that phone call to be real. You know, no, I don't know. I get that. I get that. It's, I mean, it's no different than comedy. Like, I have a, you know, I, I'm one of the things that bother me in stand up comedy is when I hear a comedian try to keep when they keep saying, I swear this really happened. It's like, dude, I don't care if it really right. happened. It doesn't need to be truthful. It needs to be funny. Number one needs to be funny. Two needs to be believable. If you're trying to sell me on something that di- that didn't happen, that would never happen, uh, then I'm not going to believe it. Example, a comedian just had an open mic the other day was like, you know, I got to stop telling women that I'm so good at eating pussy because then they just find out that I'm not and they're really disappointed. I'm like, no one's finding out that you're terrible at eating pussy. Nobody is finding out that. Like, <laughs> nobody is sleeping with you because of that. Like, and I'm thinking, saying this in my head. It's just, if if your premise is it becomes shaky and falls apart on me just going, no, that didn't happen, then it's not good. Like, so many people, like the dad bod thing. I listened to so many comedians at open mics go, so somebody told me yesterday I got a dad bod. Bullshit. And I'm not saying bullshit that they told this to you yesterday because we all do that in radio. So this thing happened to me today. And meanwhile, it happened six months ago. And we just keep saying it every right. day for six months that it happened that day or whatever it was. No, nobody told you you had a dad bod yesterday. That's not the lie. The lie is that nobody told you you had a dad bod. You came up with a joke about dad bods and you want to tell it to us now. You can do a better way of, of telling me that than this crappy hack way of saying, so somebody says I got a dad bod. And I said, says to them... Like, no, they didn't. Nobody said that. And there's nobody in Boston that talks like like they're a New York Italian guy who's selling pizza on the street. So I don't know where that voice came from. But there's a there's a lot of like stand up comedy, man. Uh, That's, I think, even worse than than playing music. Like if I go out there and I play a song that nobody likes, at least there's there's sound happening, if that makes sense. Like I'm singing and playing guitar. There's no awkward pauses in my song. Like if if you go out there and you tell a joke and it bombs and nobody laughs and then you're on stage and it's awkward and it's silent, there's no even if I wrote the funniest shit I thought that I could possibly write, I would not like stand up comedy to me is something that's even more difficult than going out there and playing music. I guess it's a different kind of difficult where with you know with music you have to know how to play guitar, or know how to sing, but with comedy you have to know how to write and know how to deliver a joke and have comedic timing. So it's they both have their art form qualities to them. But yeah. man, I don't 
there's no way you could you could convince me to get out on the stage and tell jokes for even 10 minutes or 15 yeah, minutes. See, no I, way in the world. I can't see myself not getting on stage and, and, and performing or entertaining in front of people. Not that I need that limelight. I love just being a part of the entire process of entertainment. That's why I got into the radio. Nobody sees my face in radio. I'm okay with being a producer, being behind the scenes. I just enjoy creating. And now I'm getting Same. to the age where I'm... I feel like I'm missing all my opportunities to become a talent. So now I'm pushing it. That's one reason why I did comedy. But the difference between comedy and music is we are all trained that when a song stops, we clap. Right, right. You right. Ha- you don't have to be engaged. You don't have to pay attention to the song, right? There's It, it plays and then you clap. When, with comedy, you have to pay attention. And you have to be – it's a responsive thing. You have to return – you have to reply to the to to the to the energy that was given to you. So when I tell a joke, you have to laugh on the other end, right? Even if you think it's funny, if you don't laugh, it sounds uncomfortable and awkward, no matter who you are. And I try to get used to just working in silence sometimes because of whatever the room is or whatever the situation is, and I can do it sometimes, but not all the time. And it's oh, it's, it's the most gut wrenching thing in the world. Feed off that crowd, yeah. Yeah, you don't need to feed off a crowd when you're playing music. You just play the music, and even if nobody claps at the end of a song, you just start another song. I'm sure it hurts a little bit, but it doesn't hurt as bad as yeah. going, you know, the you know, chicken cross the road. Why, or why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? And if you don't get that laugh, oh, it's just, oh, it and then just what do you do? Hurts you're like, so much. So anyway, yeah, the, and then kind of transition and not try and sound awkward as hell making that transition. Yeah, you can't. You can't just will. stop talking. When you're waiting for somebody to like, if I say, "Hey, how are you doing?" and you don't say, "Oh, I'm doing fine," I can't just start talking again. It's the same thing as a co- dialogue. It's a, literally comedy is a dialogue between me and the audience, and the only thing the audience should do is laugh. The only response they should have is laughter. I've never actually put it in that context. That it, like we always say, make yourself make it, you know when you're performing, make yourself sound conversational. You know, instead of sounding like you're talking at somebody, sound like you're talking to them. And I never put the connect to the other side that the other side of that dialogue is their laughter. So that's something I'm going to have to say again. And they have to be, be, have to be engaged because if they're not, then it's like it's telling a story to somebody who's not listening. And then they look up when, at the end and go, huh? <laughs> you know, it's it's the same thing. That huh is no laugh from a, yeah. from a joke. Exactly. If, if it doesn't have to be, you know, like I said, believable, it doesn't have to be truthful, it has to be believable. One of those great examples for me in my own comedy is I have this bit where I talk about the song Superstition by Stevie Wonder. You know, I was listening to it in a car, cop car pulled up, rolled down his window. I turned the volume down, said, sorry, officer. That's when he went, you don't know shit about Stevie Wonder. Cranked up Superstition by Stevie Wonder on his own radio, peeled wheels, and then drove away through the red light. <laughs> What? Yeah. So there's that. That's a, a joke that I, uh, you know, a story joke that I tell tell people, and I go farther into it. But I was workshopping the joke with somebody, and he goes to me. One comedian asked me, he's like, "So, how? No, before he he goes, how truthful is that? Like, how true is that story? Now the thing about it is, I just told it to you for the first time. You there's you you're surprised that it happened, correct? Well, yeah. That's your reaction. But you don't think for a second that I'm lying, right? Well, knowing you, I don't know. (laughs) Generally. Well, the truth behind it is it's an exaggeration. Something similar happened. uh, And I just exaggerate it to the point. Because that's kind of what comedy is, is you take a situation and you exaggerate it to to its believable extent. 
I guess. Or, you know, if you're an absurdist, then you can exaggerate to its most absurd point. But so the thing about the story, what the truth behind that joke is, I was listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players. Had that cranked up. Cop car pulled up next to me. Two cops in the car. One of them rolled down the window and me and my buddy were just singing it at the top of the lung at the cop. And he kind of laughed and he got, he said something and I turned it down. And what he said was, you boys don't know shit about this music. And I was like, come on, this is good stuff. And he's like, yeah, it's really good, but you should not, you're not old enough to know about it. And we laughed. And when they drove away, they drove away a little fast and it just a little, a little bit of a squeal on the wheels, not peeling wheels and not through a red light. Uh, and by the way, the other tag to the joke is the only thing more badass that cop could have done was just fire off caps as they drove away. Like that's the, <laughs> but that's a still a pretty cool situation to have with a Baltimore County cop was that. So somebody was playing superstition by Stevie wonder at an open mic. I thought about that story of the Ohio players song and the red hot chili pepper song. And I just molded it and adapted it to fit the situation. So is it a lie? No. Is it an exaggeration? Yes. Is it believable? Yes. And I think that's fine yeah, with poetic, comedy to be poetic, believable or exaggeration. It's like when I write a song, like I don't think everything, everything that I say exactly in the song might have not happened, you know, but if it makes a good song, then fine. You know, I, so many artists do that. It's just, you, you take a, a good idea or a good story. And then if you can mold it into something that's, Makes it better. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Well, no, dude. Remember, um, uh, what's that song by? Um, uh, not f- they had that song called Firescape, but that's not the song I was thinking of. Uh, they're super popular. They had the album called uh, All the, is it All the Drugs That Money Could Buy or All the Money That Drugs Could Buy? Um, oh, uh, yeah. The way is the name out, of the song. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, Fastball. Fastball. Yes, that song by Fastball. Those super popular first thing they had. That so many people thought that was about something uh, uh, about them that happened. And he's just like, no, I read a news story about how two people went missing in the desert and I wrote a song about it. So it's you can right. write from a perspective that's not your own in music as well. And people, yeah, if you can write, if you can write from anything and make it good or make it or make people believe it, like I'm, I'm fine with it, especially, you know. I mean, hell, I do it. I do it with music, and you do it with comedy. As long as people at the either listen to it or come to the show or buy it, I don't care. I mean, most times they're not. Nobody really asks me. I don't think anybody's asked me. Is this what's this song? Well, people ask, "What's this song about?" And nine times out of ten, I won't. I'll just be like, you know, it's. I, I come up with something to to not answer the question. <laughs> not that I'm cryptic and mysterious and deep, just because I don't fucking feel like explaining it to you. <laughs> oh, dude, my my buddies have been in bands, and you know, they'll I'll tell them, oh, I know this song that you wrote is about your ex girlfriend, so and so. He's like. No, it's not about her. It's it's about my current girlfriend. It's like you, we all still project and put our own things on people's music. And sometimes you can't help but uh, tell them what it is or help feel like it means something else. Um, so because you're a little more with with music, you're in lyrics, you're a little more artsy and obscure, right? Um, sure. In general, <laughs> in mean, general, maybe music. not all the time. It's I'm not writing like a Led Zeppelin song or Pink Floyd song about like the moon and unicorns and weird stuff, but you know, they yeah, sometimes like there's an analogy or there's a, you know, stuff like that, but in in ly- writing lyrical writing, lyric writing, it's a little more poetry, a little more 
imagery based than yeah absolutely the way i tell jokes so there is a artistic difference if you did a whole set in rhyme i would be pretty impressed and still got the point across yeah it's just it's just a different way of of approaching the an art form i guess so all right let's go back to talking about kane so you're working on kane you're only working on sundays doing his show well you would come during the week and do phone phone some phone stuff and then but predominantly you just run the show on sundays with him when did he ask you? When did he ask you to be part of the morning show every day? Um, let's see. About two, two or three years in, when the show started airing in Baltimore, too. So it's probably the same time. A little awkward. The show that I work for replaced the show that you worked for. I mean, for lack of a better term, right? Like you were no longer on it and contributing to it, as far as I'm aware of. Yes. Um, when Jackson was. Uh, Jackson left there and they put Kane on but yeah, yeah it was you like how I waited two, two hours years. into the interview to mention that the audience that your job replaced my job after I got thrown off yeah. of it <laughs> spoiler alert um, but yeah like I ended up and we're um, friends hey you asked. replaced me sort of <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't I it was I didn't do it no, like, I no was it's part not of your the, fault the at part all. of the process because <laughs> even when they but, said they're uh, bringing yeah. Kane up here I said hey do you want me to do this because it's the same exact job that I was doing for Elliot when we were broadcast when we were a rock station and we were broadcasting right. the we we're simulcasting Elliot in the morning up here in Baltimore from DC I was running the show up here not to the extent that you run Kane's and I said hey when when this happens do you want me to do that and they went no, we're going to bring in somebody else to do it. All right, we're going to have it all. No, actually, what they told me is going to be all automated because a computer can run a tighter board than a person. Bullshit. And mm, yeah, eh, eh, bullshit to a, to a degree for the most part. And then they brought you in up here, uh, uh, up here. They brought you in in, in Baltimore. Um, so how did that pitch go down? Was it, did they want to find, did they want to justify the money they were paying you or? Probably. I mean, to be real, <laughs> probably. I mean, they they ended up. Uh, who? How did I find out? Oh, Thea, uh, who I mentioned before, who initially hired me, called me and was like, "All right, we want to talk to you about something." I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> what's happening?" Never I, a good call again. I didn't say that. To, I didn't say that to her. I just went, "Okay," probably real <laughs> awkwardly, and uh, she's like, "We're gonna put Kane on in Baltimore, and we want you to be uh, still involved. We want you to be involved with that too." And I said, "Okay." She's like, so um, we're going to be doing this. I mean, the responsibilities that I do now have changed because of the way the show was delivered changed. But, but she told me what I would be doing. Oh, wait. Are you, did you guys like, change you, the delivery of Kane to, to Baltimore? Uh, yeah. To every every place takes it via satellite, via um, like syndication. Via is it li- so? He's live live now. He's doing it the the syndicated way. He was he should have been doing it from the beginning. Every station that airs our show airs it live live. Yep. Oh, finally. <laughs> what took yep. them so long to get Well, explain how they used to do it. Uh, it used to be in like segments. Like there would like he would be doing the show and then other markets that aired it would I would get like that audio and kind of edit it up and send it out to them and the, everybody was pretty much an hour behind airing like a I don't want to say pared down version of it, but some places wanted to play their own music or play more music and so we would give them a almost condensed version of the show that they could plug in and run their own music instead of running everything that comes out of uh, his studio. Like so, now any station who runs us runs our music and like our, runs the show in real time. 
And you guys were also record like they would in the studio re- would record local news bits and local traffic and local weather stuff and send those to those cities as well too, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Each station now has their own. Uh, as well, I don't. I don't want to speak for every station. I just know what we do. Each station, uh, there's a local traffic report that's not done by anybody on the show. It's like a. It's a. It's populated locally, and. Um, so that's every station. That's where my company gets. comes in. That's where the company I work for, the division I work for comes in. Right, right, right. So like that version or that, that stuff stays up to date, even though um, like this, the cities were on, you know, from Baltimore to Tampa to, um, to Concord, New Hampshire, like they're all getting the same show at the same time. So we get tons of calls uh, all morning from, you know, if he's talking about, you know, tell us about your crazy roommate or something like that. A way more uh, wide variety of calls coming from people. So like, yeah, so that's that's how it's delivered now. It's delivered like 100% live instead of like a segmented version of it. Which is the way it should have been from the beginning, if you ask me. Like that's not only the easiest way, it's the way we've been doing it for years. Or, you know, like you guys are doing so much more work, I think, before. I mean, do you agree or disagree? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's still work to be done now. It's just a different, it's like the old, like the cliche work smarter, not harder. And, and that's kind of how we're doing it now. Like though there's still work to be done, you know, with the show and I still edit a lot of stuff. Cause on Saturday we run like a best of the week kind of show and that's obviously not live, but there's editing to do with that. And there's editing to do with like when we put together content, if we're on vacation or something, but it, it's, it's, yeah, there's definitely the Excuse me. The way that we're delivering the show to affiliates now is definitely the the best way because it's just one link to the to Premier Networks. Premier is the division of a company that handles syndication. It goes out to them, and then they deliver it via satellite to anybody who wants to to uh, to run the show. And when do they start doing that? I can't believe you didn't um, tell me. Like we talk every week. I can't believe you didn't mention this. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Right. Uh, that started about a year ago. That it's oh Jesus Christ. Offici- I think I, my concept at the time is completely warped. Now it could have been could have been yesterday. It didn't well, it just happen. But <laughs> it didn't happen yesterday. Yeah, it's, yeah. No, and it didn't happen yesterday. It's probably within the year, within a year or so. Jeez. Well, that's great. I mean, so you're still editing you know, content and put it together or, or, or is the, is the satellite program running automated or do you have to run the boards for that show now? Uh, there's certain stuff we have to run locally. There's, uh, it, it's, it's automated ish for the most part. Um, when I'm in the studio, I'm watching like the source, like I'm watching Kane's studio on one screen and then ours on the other. All of the commercial blocks have to be the exact same length. And sometimes, you know, if you're running a nine minute commercial block or whatever, if those 30 second commercials that oh, they might be 28 seconds or they might be a minute and one second, if they're supposed to be 60, that kind of stuff can add up. So you have to make sure that your commercial blocks are the exact same time. And it's a lot of like small moving parts behind the scenes to make sure it sounds seamless to you know the person driving to work in their car. Um, yeah, I had the same problems in with when I was running Elliot. We were doing the same thing. I was getting the feed live, and I'd have to pad our commercial breaks to match his because he'd have like six minutes of commercials, and we were a new station in a smaller market. We couldn't fill six minutes of commercial time, so we would fill like three and a half minutes, and I'd have to find a two and a half minute song to fill. 
or with like you were saying, like we may if I'm lucky enough, maybe we're only five seconds off. So in the midst of our commercial break, I have to find a five second sound effect to put in between two commercials and and tighten you know and segue in between the commercials to play that. So when my commercial break stop, there's it stops at the same time as theirs, and I can rejoin them perfectly in time. So you're back to doing that again, which is which is the right way to do it. I can't can't stress that that point enough. Like I. Out of all of this, that's the thing that made me the happiest to hear that you guys are finally doing it via satellite the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a more it's a more uh, I guess streamlined not streamlined but more effective way of doing it. And like and most of the time, like if the commer- if 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 on my end it's a little off, like if it's oh this commercial block supposed to be nine minutes, it's eight and a half minutes. Usually, it's really easy to figure out like oh this spot wasn't cut or this spot wasn't dubbed or. It's it's usually an easy fix. It's usually not like oh I'm three and a half minutes off. It's either like a thirty, a sixty, occasionally like five seconds. Then you just throw like a like a little bumper or sweeper in there. It's it's easy to do. You just have to pay attention to it to make sure um, it doesn't sound like a train wreck. Because if it's thirty seconds short or thirty seconds over, if it's thirty seconds over, you're coming back in the middle of of the show thirty seconds late. Or if it's thirty seconds short, you've got you know more problems on your hand. So, I mean, there's a lot of little moving parts, but at this point I've been doing it long enough that I know what to look for like right away. And it's, uh, if, even if it sounds funky sometimes, if I miss something, which rarely happens, but I, I end up like getting really pissed at myself. I'm like, ah, I should have caught that. or should have seen that. But luckily for me, um, that, uh, doesn't happen frequently. Hopefully I didn't just jinx myself. <laughs> You're going to go back to work on my name and everything's going to fall apart. But all right. Are you still running Kane on Sundays live You're, by hand rather not live, but by hand. Well, yeah, that, that I run from our Rockville studio and then it goes out to satellite. So I'm in, it, it's weird because during the week, Monday through Friday for the morning show, I'm technically an affiliate because the shows run out of DC and we're taking the show from the feed on Sundays when I'm there, I am the origin source of it. So it goes from me to Burbank out to the, all of the affiliates. So I'm running it live, live because I'm the source of the show. So anything I do effective, Anything I do in that studio producing that show on Sunday nights, if I screw something up, it's not just on the one station. It's on all of them who are airing it. So I don't want to say it's a different type of uh, of execution. It's on Monday through Friday, I'm the affiliate. Sunday, I'm the, the source. So it's a, it's a different way of thinking to put it together to make sure it's going to run right on all of those affiliates. But they still haven't gotten to the point where it runs all by itself and you don't even need to be there, which is one thing that we used to talk about all the time, that you could just package out the show to where it runs by itself and nobody needs to watch over it. But No, that's not a thing. No. Not gonna, never going to happen. They're going to keep, keep – well, I guess it's job I, I, security that they need you yeah, there. It, I mean, it, it ruins is, your vacations yeah, like, though, but – there's been vacations where during my wedding, I shortly before going to uh, going to get married, I had my laptop open and I was checking on things because something was wrong. Um, I was I had to I was in Jamaica for a friend's wedding last January, sitting weirdly in the lobby where I could pick up like the the faintest Wi-Fi signal trying to fix something that was wrong. There's never, literally, there's never been a vacation I've been on where I haven't had to do something for that, for the show, where I haven't had to, hey, something's wrong, or hey, can you fix this, or, you know, hey, can you look at that, and, I mean, the guys who usually fill in for me are great, because they, 
85 to 90 percent of of anything they need to do they can do but there's always usually a question or i have to fix something or look at something but again job security like you said at least i hope so well the other thing about it was like we talked about it is how many of your vacations you had to come home on sunday to run the show and instead of just staying out for a couple days or you'd have to wait for your wait until monday to start your vacation because you had to run cane on sunday you know, there's or there's times where you took weeks off and you just, you know, you took days off from the morning, sh- the weekday morning show, but still had to go back and run the thing on Sundays, which that's uh, just kind of annoying, I, w- I would think. I mean, yeah, especially uh, sometimes, especially like during during quis- Christmas time, like I'll usually take the week, uh, the I'll take like two weeks off, like Christmas and New Year's, like the weeks of like from the usually like the 20th to the first or whatever. Yeah. Same and thing that they usually I don't even, take off. I don't anyway. even try and take off on Sundays. Like I just know, like I'm going to be off Monday through Friday going on Sunday off Monday through Friday going on Sunday because it's easier. It's more work and a bigger hassle for me to, um, to try and get somebody to fill in and go through all that stuff. than it is for me to just go in there. But like, there's been times when I was in like, um, I was out of, out of state, uh, for my, my sister-in-law, well, now sister-in-law's wedding. Well, obviously I couldn't not go to that or um, I'm trying to think of some other stuff that I've had to go to. Like, it's just, you know, it's easier for me to be there than it is to try and get everything situated and and good to go for somebody else. And that's not no disrespect to them because I appreciate it, but I've been doing the show for six years. Essentially, I've taken off six Sundays over the six years that I've been doing it. So, you know, um, there's been a, uh, it's just easier for me to go, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go in and do it. Yeah, understandable. So, all right. So you're doing the morning show. You're basically working six days a week with, with doing running cane stuff. How many, w- w- the syndication for the morning show has been growing. How many stations is he on now for the mornings? Because he's 97 store. the Sunday show's on 97 cities across the, across the, the country. And he's on 11, mm-hmm. did you say? Yeah, we just picked up a, a station in uh, like the Hamptons in like New York, so that's our eleventh oh, cool. right now. Oh, good. That's 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 not bad because I think he honestly the company's grooming him to be the next Elvis Duran. Like when Elvis retires, he's going to take over all the stations that Elvis is doing. And the fact that I've known stations recently that have flipped uh, formats or they've gotten rid of morning show top forty stations that got rid of morning fa- show and then started with Elvis Duran. It's like you know, Clear Channel stations, I Heart Media stations. Excuse me. I heard media stations that have gone with Elvis Duran's like, what are you doing? Like, there's is, you know, you're going with a station with a show that does not have long to live. No offense to Elvis Duran. I, well, I think he's terrible, but he's not going to be in this business much longer because he's going to have to retire sooner or later or at least move to a format that's not top 40 because he's he's just getting old and that happens. So why not just go with the, the new hotness that is prefer like i will say this kane show much better than elvis duran show why not go with the newer better show but eh, it's up to them you know sometimes you just want to go with what's a winner like you know elvis duran has proven to be a winner so you know. oh my god yeah like he's been in the business forever and he's been based out of new york for such a long time like are they is kane the next in line for that seat i have no idea i hope so right, that'll yeah. be awesome to be it's not to, a definite but i i believe that i mean it would be great. Like, I don't know. I have no idea what their plan is or what, I mean, I'm sure Kane has his own agenda, like what he wants to do. And, 
I mean, you kind of have to. You have to have a direction that you want to that you want to work in. But I mean, Elvis has been doing that there for a long time, and he's been super successful. Will he go to like a not pop format, not top forty format? I have no idea. But you know, he's a. Uh, oh yeah, I just made a, I brought up a lot yeah. of things that are speculations at best. So I get it. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And he's a. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure how. I guess it's not about age. I guess it's about. Um, like relatability to the audience. I mean, if he's still killing it, there's no reason for them to uh to to I guess move him otherwise unless he's like, "You know what, guys? I'm done after this." But yeah. So anyway, uh, uh so you're, you're doing rolling. that you're doing that 6 days a week, you're playing out, you got the you got your solo project, you got the band, band's putting together a new CD. Um mm-hmm. what's what you're in a good place right now. I, I I think we both agree that you're in a place where you're happy. Work-wise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, work-wise, I'm happy. Like, on a like a personal level, I'm happy. I'm, I'm married and have a, a wife and a cool dog like we talked about before. No kids because that's awful. And, um, yeah, no. It's not all Not not having kids is, isn't awful. I think having kids for me would be awful for multiple reasons. One, I can barely take care of myself at 35, let alone a small, helpless being. So I, there's no way. And, yeah, I, you know, I we're say just all not the in a place where we want children. I say all the time that I should not be in. The, uh, I should never be in charge of the life of another living being. Like I should not. Like I love dogs. I love plants. I love taking care of plants. I love gardening and landscape and stuff like that. I don't own any plants because I should not be in charge of those. I don't own pets because I should not be in charge of those. <laughs> I'm supposed to like as soon as I finish up the phone with you, I'm gonna go spend two hours with my my former roommate's dog to go walk the dog and hang out with the dog for 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 two hours before I go do something else because I can only be in charge of something for two hours if I have to be <laughs> if it has to be responsible if I have to be responsible for its life forever. Forever is not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> for a very limited time for a limited time got it like i have a niece right my sister-in-law has a kid she's three just a, she's a little older than three she's cool when she comes over she likes to come down to the where my studio is and she'll she wants to play the drums she'll come over and she'll go can we jam i'm like yeah sure but uh she wants i mean it's it's not she's not a good drummer she's three but she wants to come over and play music i'm like the quote-unquote cool uncle but you know, to have my own kid, like that's just not that's not cut out for me. But yeah, like I'm in, I'm in a pretty happy place. Like I like the work I'm doing with the shows, both the Sunday and weekday show. I'm not a huge fan of working six days a week, but the alternative, like to not working at all, you know, that's <laughs> I'd rather be doing what I'm doing now. You know, I wouldn't get up ass early five days a week to do something I I didn't enjoy. And uh, playing music when we can. What I want to know is, you're in a comfortable place where you're happy, everything's going well. What would, what would need to change, or what would need to happen for you to change? Like, what would it take for you to need to to like walk away from Kane Show or to quit music? Uh, you know what? I'll never quit music. Like, even if the band breaks up and people tell me they hate the songs that I write or or whatever, you know, I didn't get into music to to make money or you know initially any kid who picks up a guitar wants to be a rock star like they'd be lying if they said otherwise but even if i never play another show for anybody ever again or anything with with music i'm still going to write songs i'm still going to play songs and sing songs even if it's to the four walls of my living room um so i don't think uh, short of like getting both of my hands like cut off like that's the only way that i would stop playing music um for radio, for anything to change with that, like I don't know, like even then, even if you, lo- I was, 
Even if you lost Say both again? your hands, you would. Even if you lost both your hands, you would figure try to figure out how to play the guitar with your tongue, right? I would somehow make it work. I wouldn't be able to sing at the same time, but I would do something to kind of to somehow try and make that work. But but for radio, I mean, unless they the show got canceled or moved to you know, I wouldn't think it would move to a smaller city. Like I would think if we got some sort of promotion, like you were talking about, like if you think we end up in New York or something like that. That that would be I'm totally for that, but I mean to to for me to change what I'm doing now, uh, unless they, you know, they fired me, I would I would wouldn't have much of a choice. But I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing now. Or if they're like, oh, we're gonna cut your pay by forty percent, then maybe I would have to think about doing something different. But honestly, as 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 suck uppy or or, or lame as it sounds, I don't really see any reason for me to want to change anything right now. That's good, dude. I'm I'm happy to hear that. So I'm also happy that we got to have this chance to get you on the podcast and we could talk about it. We had to do it over the phone, but <laughs> but it worked. But it worked. It worked. Yes. So all right, Scott. Great. Uh, it was great talking to you. Uh, good luck uh, with the Thanks, uh, with the band uh, letterbox. Uh, if people wanted to, let's do it now here on the podcast so I don't have to figure it out from you later when I post this episode. If people want to check out sure. uh, music from Scott Lester and What Army, other than clicking the link uh, in this post to hear music from you, where else can they go to hear your music? Uh, to check out the band, it's letterboxmusic.com, and then all the pertinent links to well, our Facebook and SoundCloud and all that kind of stuff are there. And then uh also if you search on soundcloud scott lester and what army i think that's the link i gave you that will take you to the solo project so i got all my bases covered that way and what's your instagram so people can look at the uh lovely adorable pictures of your <laughs> your fluffy cute little uh chinese crescent it's scottstagram it's s-k-o-t-s-t-a-g-r-a-a-m i couldn't somebody stole like scott lester is used but it's like they don't have any pictures. They have no followers. It's just they're just like sitting on it. So I'm kind of they just kinda, they're kinda pissed about that. Yeah, they they parked on it. Ugh. Well, somebody's doing the same thing with uh, Dead Air Dennis on Snapchat. So I have to be Dead Air underscore Dennis, and I would be mad if I cared about Snapchat, <laughs> which right. I don't. So all right, buddy. All right, man. I'll talk to you Sounds soon. Sounds good, buddy. And there you have it, my interview with radio producer, musician, and good friend Scott Lester. Here on So What Do You Really Do? Uh, I was some deep radio talk and some deep music talk and I hope you enjoyed all of that if you want to check out more about Scott uh, you want to check out about his music go to the links that he had said before Lester and What Army on SoundCloud and check out the band Letterbox uh, links will also be on the website deadardennis.com slash podcast so you can go right there and easily click to check out more music from Scott um I'm going to be doing a couple things coming up in July. We are in the middle of Radio Month, so we have two more show or two more episodes of Radio Month coming up. Uh, but by the end of that, uh, I am doing a couple shows. July 6th, I will be at the Burn in Somerville. Uh, it's a 10 o'clock show. It's a late show. It's kind of an open mic, but I'll be doing some real material, maybe some stuff I'm working on. It's going to be a good, fun time. Um, and then also on the 7th, I am doing the Tony V Show at Laugh Boston. And later that night at Improv Boston, I am doing at 9.30 the Naked Comedy Show. Uh... It is not on my website, deadairdentist.com, because I'm not advertising. I'm going to be there telling jokes naked, but I will be there. You guys are going to be the only ones that hear about that if you listen to this podcast. So if you want to hear jokes and you want to see me naked, 
Improv Boston, July 7th. That, uh, that's the place to be. Uh, and, of course, on July 9th is Jamaica Plain Porch Fest. JP Porch Fest. I am really excited about that because we are doing uh, a comedy show outside on a porch for JP Porch Fest. If you don't know what Porch Fest is, it is an amazing, fun thing. Basically, everybody in the in that neighborhood. We do one in Somerville. Uh, they do one in Jamaica Plain. Philadelphia does them. A bunch of other neighborhoods have, uh, across the country do it. Basically, artists and musicians and, and performers of all types get together and they perform on porches throughout the neighborhood. You can just walk around and see everything and experience everything and we are doing a comedy porch so if you are in the new england area july 9th jamaica porch fest and we're going to end this podcast with one of the songs from scott's solo project scott lester and what army i can't thank scott enough uh for doing the podcast the way that we had to do it through um over the phone and then recording it and sending it to me um and you know providing me with music for the podcast and then providing me the song for you guys here. So if you like this song, please check out more about Scott's solo band, Scott Lesnar, what army or his current band letterbox on the internet guys. Thanks a lot for listening. Please again, also subscribe if you can on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, whatever you're listening to. Um, and also give it five stars and a review because it helps people to hear if you're friends of Scott. And that's why you're listening to this. Please do that because more people who see this podcast from reviews, the more people are going to hear his music and share it. So I appreciate it. Here's a song from Scott Lester and what army it's sunsets and car wrecks I'm Deader Dennison and this is So What Do You Really Do Hospital cold in winter doesn't have to be snow outside for me to feel that way no emotions go unfocused I find it hard to notice who I plan to be Now